Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. I um I currently work at a um a medical um warehouse where we ship medical supplies and things like that. And um I've been working here as a temp agent for like a year, almost a year and a half. And um every time that I try to contact the temp agency about, you know, trying to get hired on permanently so I can, you know, make a little more money or, you know, um have some, some health benefits or get or just to take a vacation, you know, like I haven't taken a vacation or had any personal time in like a year and a half. So, you know, it's kind of wearing on me. Um, I tend to not get a response. I try to file entries with the temp agency to find out, you know, what's the situation at the job and they're even, you know, accepting full-time employees. But from what I was told by a permanent uh, worker that my after supervisor that um, there's more temp a temp um workers that work in the warehouse than it is actual you know permanent employees. And I notice you know most of the temp workers are you know people that are, you know non non white, and most of the permanent um, employees are you know people that consider themselves white. Um, I've um, did some research to figure, like, is, is there something, like, I can do? Can I file, like, a, a, um, a audit on the company to see, you know, their hiring practices or, you know, what's, what's, what's wrong with Like, do they have the, um, what's the law where they have to hire a certain amount of um, non-whites? Um, I forgot the name of the policy. Uh, I think it's called affirmative action laws. Like, do they receive any affirmative action funds or anything like that? Um, I'm kind of ran into a roadblock when it comes to that type of information. I was just wondering if anybody can give me any type of um, advice or suggestions on to try to, you know. I finally get hired on on permanent with this um, current assignment that I'm on. I'll meet my lunch. My uh, suggestion, uh, sir, for that. Thank you for for dialing in. Uh, that exactly what you described. Like that is the exact design. 
uh, of white supremacy in terms of, and I mean with that the temp agency like they uh, have done reports like even recently very detailed reports where that is super widespread in fact uh, Thomas in New York uh, he talked about his experience when he was working at a temp agency where they had the system now so precise I think the law was something like and he can, he's here I think he can correct me but I think something was like the law was you could only be a temporary employee at this agency for, let's say, 99 days. They would have you on until the 98th day, fire you, and then break you back and start your 98-day cycle all day, all, all over again. I don't know if it was 98 days in Thomas's thing or what the exact number did, but I mean, that that's the scenario. Like That's how precise, that's how refined the system of white supremacy is with regards to the temp agency. That's that's what it's going to be. I'm sure you could file at a mass evidence, but I mean, that is widespread uh, across the world, uh, certainly this part of the world. Thomas in New York, just if you can verify, isn't that so? What I said about the number of days like they had it that codified, you don't have to talk for a whole lot. I don't know if you're in a, in a place where you can speak, but isn't that right? Yeah. And I, yeah. And I did have a story myself. I was waiting, but yeah, and um, it was um, 89 days, and on the 89th day, they had it set up so um, you just collect two weeks of unemployment, and then they'll bring you back. And that process lasted me. Um, I probably did that job for over a year. Now, it's the job of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, to enforce federal anti-discrimination laws. Our investigation found that the commission has received complaints about automation personnel services, but no one could give us details. That's because everything the commission investigates is kept secret, unless it files a lawsuit. So far, that hasn't happened with automation. Still, we did speak with the chair of the EEOC, Jenny Yang, and she confirmed a lot of what we found out about the temp industry. We do see uh, significant job discrimination continuing. And one of the concerns we have about the growing temporary workforce is that those workers are now some of our most vulnerable workers because they can't be assured they have a job the next day. We had a case, for example, where this uh, temporary agency had classified their workers and they would comply with discriminatory requests by the employer. And when two employees opposed that discrimination, they were fired. And so this employer would use photos of the temporary workers to determine their race and gender. And then they had code words. So, for example, they would say hockey player, vanilla cupcake, or someone like you and me. Or they would, you know, use a W or a smiley face to signal that they preferred a white worker. Why do you think this problem still persists? I mean, at this point, you think it would die off. Well, I think for us, uh, addressing the problems in the temporary workforce are even harder than in other employers because the information is harder to uh, identify. You know, workers at one employer may actually be placed by many different staffing agencies. So if you are investigating um, the source of the problem, there are many different pieces to the puzzle, many different responsible parties, and there it, it is much harder to try to establish what is going on in a particular employer. You've got a case backlog of some 75,000 complaints. Do you have the resources necessary to deal with that type of backlog? 
Well, unfortunately, um, the demand for our services have always exceeded our available resources. We currently have what we call our workload of 76,000 charges, and we have about 550 investigators who are fully trained to handle this caseload. And on average now, a filer waits less than 10 months to get a resolution of a charge. What is it about the temp industry that basically this type of discrimination is able to flourish? I think there are a number of issues. Because many employers are now relying on a staffing agency to send them their workers, they sometimes mistakenly believe they are not responsible for either the working conditions of those workers or for the types of hiring that's done. So they think they can perhaps insulate themselves from responsibility for uh, discriminatory criteria when in fact they can't. Have we failed in tackling this problem? And, And if so, you know, what are the tools that we can use to change that? There remain many biases, right, that people have stereotype notions about who's going to be successful in a particular type of job. And unfortunately, what we've seen is that often people rely on those notions rather than giving people a chance based on their experience. And we've seen that in the staffing agency where, in particular, staffing agencies are refusing to place African-American employees based on their race, and they are terminating employees when they complain about that, as well as limited assignments that individuals may have. So that is something that we see recurring, and we want to be able to provide opportunities for all workers, and we think this is a very important area for companies to be looking at. That was Jenny Yang, chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Starbucks is preparing for an ambitious project in a couple of weeks. It'll train employees throughout the company on ways to eliminate discrimination and bias, even unconscious bias. This is part of the company's response to the inappropriate arrest of two black men at a Philadelphia Starbucks last month. Behavioral scientists have an evolving view of what's effective in addressing unconscious bias. NPR's Yuki Noguchi reports on some of the challenges. David Rock founded the Neural Leadership Institute on the idea that leaders can learn a few things from brain science, like, for example, how to better motivate workers and get them to learn more, or how to reduce the effects of bias. Mitigating bias is one of the hardest things in human existence. (laughs) Eliminating it would require people to become completely self-aware and objective about their own thoughts. Rock says no one's found a way to do that. Any strategy that essentially relies on people to try not to be biased, is doomed to fail. That's the heart of the problem. But Rock says people are adept at identifying the biases of their peers. In his work as a consultant, he recommends workplaces develop what he calls if-then protocols, involving decision-making by teams. If a person asks for a raise, then take it to a committee. If a man walks into a store and buys nothing, then consult colleagues about an appropriate response. You've got to shift the focus from individuals trying not to be biased to teams being able to catch bias. There's decades of research showing that format of strategy actually is the best format for behavior change and habit formation. In other words, create structures that don't rely on the individual to change. Heather McGee agrees. Starbucks has very aspirational goals for the values it wants to set both within its company and in the world. McGee is president of the social advocacy group Demos. She, along with former Attorney General Eric Holder and the NAACP, is advising Starbucks on its training and policies. 
She says training is just one of many steps in what she calls an ongoing public education, one she says no other company has tried to tackle at such large scale. So few companies, if any, have taken the kind of responsibility that Starbucks has to have said. A, this was about race. B, this wasn't just one bad apple. And C, we have the right and responsibility to do something about it. McGee says her main goal for the training day is to create a shared language and understanding about why inclusion and diversity are critical for a company as public as Starbucks. She says she's glad to see the company facing it. If addressing bias is not mission critical for your company, then you shouldn't do it at all. Because it's just too difficult to do if it's not something that is essential to making your company succeed. Howard Ross, an expert and consultant on bias training, says there are companies that have done this successfully. Denny's, the restaurant chain, faced a similar crisis in the 1990s, ultimately paying more than 54 million dollars to settle a class action suit brought by black customers. They didn't try to shun the responsibility for it. They. Started looking at their organization from top to bottom and put in place a number of different things that seem to move the organization in a very different direction. Within a decade, Denny's earned a reputation as one of the most minority-friendly workplaces. Ross says, in addition to systemic change, workers need constant reminders about the company's priorities and an ongoing method of assessing its reputation among customers and employees. Starbucks advisor Heather McGee agrees this is a work in progress. One she hopes will eventually spread to other companies. I know that other CEOs have reached out to the leadership of Starbucks and said, you know, we assume and we know that we have a problem with this too. So thanks for going first, and we'll be watching. Starbucks will close on the afternoon of May 29th for the training. Yuki Naguchi, NPR News, Washington. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, May seventeenth, two thousand eighteen. So I have been told. Not related to anything that you just heard or anything that we're going to discuss this evening. I don't think. Do you all remember, like circa 2012, 2013, when a significant chunk of black people, non-white people, thought that two of the individuals in this part of the world, northwestern hemisphere, that were causing the most problems were former President Barack Obama. And former MSNB host, MSNBC host, Melissa Harris Perry. I'm not saying that every single non-white person, every single black person, but I do remember, circa 2012, 2013, there were a sizable chunk of folks, some of them cows listeners, who thought that two of the people who were causing the most problems for black people. In what they call the United States of America, were President Barack Obama, Melissa Harris Perry. I crack up laughing every time I think about that now, and it reminds me why Mr. Fuller has on the front page of his book. If you don't understand 
racism, white supremacy, what it is, how it works, everything else that you think you understand will only confuse you. Woo! And that seems like ancient history now. Anyway, this here is workplace racism, neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, the goal, hopefully, offer strategies, counter-racist logic to help solve problems without creating new problems, specifically focused on the area of labor. Uh, as I say consistently at the beginning of each one of these broadcasts, this is not a spectator program. This is certainly not one. Uh, this segment uh, for people to just sit back and put their feet up. I guess it's no playoff basketball today for folks to enjoy and it's no scandal either. So, I mean, you might be hurting uh, if you are looking for amusements. This is not one. Uh, I'm sure you can figure out other things to do uh, for this broadcast. We should have a lot of folks, uh, non-white people, victims of white supremacy. If you have any sort of work experience at all, I am sure you can contribute to workplace racism. First and foremost, if we have any black people, if you have figured out what to do so that you have a great office with a spectacular view, you get every single bonus on time, no gripes, no complaints. Your paycheck is always accurate to the penny. If you ever have an emergency, if you need sick time, personal leave, vacation time, whatever it is, it's done. Stroke of a pen, click of a key, swipe of a pad, whatever. No problem. You are in a cushy spot and look like you could coast to retirement. If you are in that glorious position, you should be the first person to dial in and give us data on how you did it so we can replicate your remarkable success. And you should invest in the cows. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right corner. But anyone in that position, you should be like the very first person to dial in with suggestions, counter-racist suggestions. Certainly anybody, if you are having problems and you would appreciate getting some counter-racist thoughts, perspectives on your situation and possible ways that you can handle things, feel free. Chime in the number 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Certainly for any folks, if you're not able to dial in during the program, if you want to either share a situation that you're dealing with on the job, or if you have suggestions or even feedback on uh, what's being discussed, if you're not able to dial in, you can email untiljustice at gmail.com and I can read your commentary on the broadcast. Untiljustice at gmail.com.
we can read you live on the air. Uh, the Starbucks situation, uh, I thought, was laughable through and through. I continue to think that even though, as I've stated all along, they have some very impressive names attached to their program that's supposed to be about, quote unquote, uh, by racial bias or unconscious uh, bias anything that is talking about racism, white supremacy, where the word racism, we talked about that before we move away from the term racism being even used, much less just saying that the problem that we're talking about is individuals classified as white being dedicated to the practice of white supremacy racism. If that's really what's happening, then this unconscious bias is just, you know, wasting an hour of our time when we could be getting our lattes or, you know, I guess loitering in the Starbucks and waiting to use their restroom. Anyway, uh, I thought that was nonsense, but that is my neck of the woods. The folks who came up with that Starbucks headquarters is right here in Seattle. Uh, other things that I wanted to make sure I share before we get to folks who called in. Uh, Chantel has called in many times over the years, victim of white supremacy. Uh, I've spoken with her a few times uh, where we're not on the air and like pretty much everybody else, the conversation within five minutes, workplace racism. And she has called in to workplace racism repeatedly to talk about different situations. And she she talked about a situation that I thought was important because this apparently happens a lot. And this is something that I had not thought about until I got into counter-racism. I hadn't really heard other people talk about this and just uh, the danger that this presents on the job. Mr. Uh, Edward Williams uh, has talked about this. Uh, he wrote about it actually in his book, uh, Mr. Williams, the founder of counter-racism.com. He's been a guest on this program many times and uh, grace, uh, graciously participated in this uh, our segment on workplace racism as well. But the situation that Chantel talked about, she was saying she was at work and <clears throat> she was at work and her supervisor was talking to a racist suspect and asking him about his performance on the job and saying, you know, you need to you need to do better at a, a specific task, whatever it is. This is, you know, in front of a group. This was not a private conversation. And so the racist suspect uh, certainly, I'm not, you know, about to be chastised and called out. And I think this might have even been a non-white person doing this. Like, you know, I'm a white man. You don't just talk to, you don't just talk to me any old kind of way. You know, I don't have my opioids here to boost my self-esteem. So he says, uh, you know, I think I'm doing a great job. Thank you kindly. And so the the non-white supervisor is like, what? Really? You think you're doing a great job? So she turns to Chantel and she says, Chantel, what do you think about his performance? That right there, oh man, I don't care. It just happened to be that in this case, it was a non-white person who was doing this, non-white, non-black person, I think, for you know specifics. Uh, but that is a standard move that is used in the workplace uh, frequently by race soldiers. In that situation, uh, my view, it is not in your interest to come out and Oh, yeah, I think Doug here is the worst employee that we've ever had uh, in the history of this company. And I've been keeping notes. He was late. I do not think that that is going to work out well for you uh, to uh, talk bad about this other person, white person, non-white person, none of the above. I class anything like this. Uh, I, I think we had a caller maybe it was this month 
within the last 14 days or so, uh, we had a, a black female who called in who said that on her job, they they fired someone, maybe even more than one person. And then after they had already terminated the uh, these folks without asking her anything, they said, we need to get a formal uh, statement. We're going to have it notarized. We need to get a formal statement uh, regarding all of your knowledge about these employees termination. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> like what? You didn't ask any of my input to hire these folks. You didn't ask any of my input to fire these people. And now it's gotten all formal like this. Same thing with the situation that Chantel presented. You didn't ask me any information about hiring this guy or anybody else at this company. And now publicly, I'm supposed to give an evaluation of his workplace performance. Are you serious? <laughs> Come on. Come on. Uh, any. I would already be thinking in case any type of situation like that comes up, I'm going to have as little to say as possible. Uh, I think I said with the termination situation, all I would have to say, and it would be true. I know that they were terminated. I know that they are no longer employed here, as I was told, as of such and such date. And that would be it. Put my gusty signature on that. And thank you kindly. That is the extent of my knowledge uh, with that situation. I have no idea about Douglas's performance. Uh, I <laughs> I would need a lot of information to make that sort of assessment, and I don't have it. And I would probably try and shorten that statement, but that would be about the essence of it. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you? I'm supposed to, even if it's a white person that I despise, doing that sort of thing publicly. Like, I'm going to pile in on like that. Oh my goodness, the animosity, and then. I could see where they turn that back around and like, oh, yeah, I don't know if you're a team player. Like, remember that time you were talking really bad about Douglas's point? You said, well, wait a minute. You asked me. Well, yeah, I didn't. I just didn't expect that you were going to be so uh, critical uh, of one of one of our coworkers. You know, he felt really bad like you. I could totally see them doing that sort of thing. I could not imagine a world where responding like, oh, yeah, that person is terrible. <laughs> like they're just the worst employee where that's going to work out well for you as a black person, especially if they do that publicly. Like that's so tacky. And I think if I remember correctly, I think Chantel said that the white person said that is really unprofessional. I think I'm going to make note of that. And it is. I agree with him. I was saying that the whole time. I agree with him. That is super unprofessional uh, to promote. I mean, that's just asking to promote conflict and strife in the workplace. Be very mindful of that. It seems like that is a pattern. Uh, continuing, uh, there was a report uh, that was in the New York Times. Uh, it is related right on topic uh, to workplace racism, although, of course, they don't use the correct language. Uh, I want to talk about this because I do know uh, particularly pregnant uh, mothers. We have non-white moms who listen to the program or uh, if you previously were pregnant mom now that's what it's talking about uh, i think i will pause wait a little bit uh for later in the program the number again 641-715-3640 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate Again, until justice at gmail.com, if you uh, do not want or if you're not able to call in until justice at gmail.com, if you want to drop an email and uh, you can 
ask your question or submit your commentary that way. I'll hit some of the people who dialed in via the phone line, and then I'll remember to share the article uh, about what they call bias uh, against mothers in the workplace. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, line should be open. Uh, any thoughts on how you would, <clears throat> pardon, any thoughts on how you would respond to that if you are at work and publicly in front of the person and other colleagues publicly asked to critique a colleague's work performance? Uh, white or non-white, uh, how would you respond uh, to that sort of prompt in the workplace? Uh, if we have suggestions on that or if folks want to share their own commentary, feel free. Line should be open. Thousand apologies to Red. My goodness, I was so crude this week uh, with Red in Nevada. My apologies. Uh, other folks uh, who dialed in, if you have a hand up and commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. Abby Hurt. Yes, ma'am. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Hello, everyone. Um, definitely no need to apologize. Um, I actually just work really early. But uh, the things that I wanted to share this week, I guess they're a little bit, um, Make it I don't want to say burnt. I don't want to say funny, but I guess um, <laughs> definitely it, it reminded me of how, like, um, some white people, I guess they try to seem as if they're not, um, I feel like she would probably, my manager would probably classify herself as maybe like a uh, liberal and still I, her, her way of uh, racism is really interesting to me, but it reminded me of how um, Mr. Um, Neely Fuller Jr. had made a comment before how he was saying that um, if a black person is in a nice car, then white people would just say, you know, look at the monkey, look at the monkey in the car basically. But um so what happened was I had um, wore my grandma's ring that she gave me. My grandma's still alive, but I try to, I'll wear her ring every now and again because I know she likes it when I do that. And um, I told my manager, I, I wore it. I wasn't really flashing it or anything like that, but I just so happened to wear it. And manager saw me, wear, saw it on my hand. And I told her what type of ring it was. And she like really like examined my hand, like, uh, for a, uh, like a couple of minutes she was like oh wow and and it's real too and it kind of made me laugh because I'm like I told you what the ring was but you with your extensive extensive knowledge of jewelry and I'm being facetious still had to examine it yourself but whatever I just made that made me think about the whole you know it's a monkey wearing a piece of jewelry so um the other thing was that um she the my mainly this week is mainly just about the manager and oh the the one racist um, woman who can't get my name right. I heard her talking to another suspected racist. Still, not getting my name right, but oh well. I'm glad I don't have to. You know, really, I really don't deal with her. She really does not um, barely even looks at me, which is just how I like it. So we were um, at a team meeting and they were talking about the whole team and her were basically talking about you know, basically like potlucks and stuff like that and how she was kind of like um, apologizing for not having some type of refreshments for us. And she was like, well, you know, I know we have picky eaters on the team and, you know, and then she pointed me out specifically. She was like, yeah, I remember when I was a child, I used to be a picky eater too. And really, <laughs> I thought that was funny because this is somebody, you know, she's 
doing some type of, she changed up her eating habits temporarily to lose weight. And I feel like she's basically on the cusp of maybe being uh, morbidly obese per like the BMI standards. So I, you know, just because I don't want to eat all like the, the different meats and sugars and dairy, cause they, they'll, they'll buy pizza and you'll just see all, you'll just see them just stuff in their face with all this garbage. But, um, the other thing that I did want to um, share was my, my mom, she had told me about a story at her job where basically she had to go to white people about something a non-white, non-black person had did. And so what happened, and I actually, unfortunately, have met this person because my mother, she likes to uncodified, but she will go out to like dinner, go out to different activities with these, with her coworkers. And sometimes she'll invite me and I made it explicitly clear the last time that I will never go again. But um, the first time that she invited me out, it was um, this non-white, non-black person. Um, We were like at like this, uh, it was like a recreational thing. It wasn't like gambling or anything like that. But um, the non-white, non-black person, they kept making like little anti-black comments. Uh, it was like, like with a sport, let's say if we were all playing tennis, you know, he, he had said something about, you know, well, just imagine if you have to like go down and get the ball, just imagine like you're picking cotton. I remember it was something like that, but I cannot quite put my finger. I cannot like quite remember exactly what he said. My mother, then I basically stopped listening to him and basically would not really talk to him. But for the, for the rest of the evening, evening and tried to get out as soon as possible, try to get done with that. But um, my mother had said that she had spoken with him several times before about not, you know, making comments like that. And when he would make these uh, anti-black comments, then he would come back at her and say, well, you know, well, you could say this about me because basically that's supposed to be like a cultural stereotype against him. But my mother wouldn't do it. And so apparently he had been doing this for a while. And he would actually do that at the job because my mother had been out with this person before. So he would do it at the job and... (laughs) What he did was that um, not that long ago, the reason why she finally had to break down and uh, send send a message to the white people, like, okay, well, I've gone, to, I've, I've said something to him enough times, is that um, she, like, like I said before, um, she had finally, you know, she's been promoted for a while, and she was trying to make sure that she could meet with some of her um, employees, um, some of the people who she manages, and. She was asking someone if they were going to be leaving, and the, and the non-white, non-black person had came up, um, and he was like, oh, yeah, well, they're not going to be leaving early. Um, he had said, the land of Wakanda is safe, and this was, like, right after the movie came out, and so I guess that was basically, like, the final straw for her, and so I just felt like, you know, this is something that, you know, of course, still blaming it on the suspected racists but just how we are all, you know, infused with this anti-blackness and how this is what they want. They want us to um, feud with each other and then go to them to have to resolve the issues. And I'll I'll mute online there. Thank you for allowing me to share. The land of Wakanda is safe. Mm. Still haven't seen the movie. Anywho, uh, that kind of weaponizing of Mr. Steele, I smile every time, but that weaponizing of food and specifically when 
black people, victims of white supremacy, are trying to just eat healthy. You know, I don't want to eat nonsense so that I'd be, you know, a thousand pounds overweight and then still a victim of white supremacy. Like that's not constructive. That's not helping to solve problems. I've seen that consistently. <clears throat> I think other listeners have talked about they would have parties or something that would require or necessitate food uh, in the workplace for like a birthday or something. And it was this person's, the the food event was supposed to be for this person, non-white person. <clears throat> and they were like, you know, hey, let's, instead of cupcakes or all the nonsense that we normally get, you know, how about let's just do a fruit bowl, you know, that'll be a little healthier for everyone. And they were like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so then the day came and I think they ended up doing both. They got cupcakes and fruit and they, they gave some sort of corny, uh, reasoning that the other people wouldn't be happy if it was just for anyway. Uh, but it was the same type of thing. Like, oh, you know, you'd be making us miss out if we just had fruit and they look forward to having cake. Like I've seen that happen and heard other people say that they've experienced that same type of uh, kind of backhanded compliment, I think is what they call it, uh, where it still seems like that there's somehow being uh, something derogatory being said about you because you don't want to eat the same type of uh, food that they're eating and even even the comparison i'm not a child <laughs> i'm a victim of white supremacy attempting to be universal woman but she's yeah it's like you're like me when i was a little kid and i was just a picky i mean what kind of nonsense is that <laughs> just because i don't want to be you know super tubby uh like you like come on come on uh, and black self-respect, I th always think that that should be uh, commended when we have, regardless of who it is, if it's a non-white person, a white person, if they're promoting anti-blackness, that is not acceptable. Uh, and I'm not going to pretend that you're not enga in engaging in that behavior and the incorrectness of that behavior, always commendable to exert black self-respect. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from, if you have your own situation that you want to share uh, commentary on what's been discussed or uh, if we have suggestions on how to respond, if you are prompted, asked to critique one of your coworkers, uh, line should be open. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, greetings to uh, callers and uh, listeners and uh Thank you as well, Gus, for having the program. Um, I would just address the first thing about public judgment of coworkers. I, um, I've had that happen um, where there were more coworkers around. It wasn't all out in the open, but it was an office where there were at least four other coworkers and judgment began over how somebody else's performance was. And um, I, I completely stepped away from the situation. And when I say that, I mean, I addressed it by just saying, um, if you feel that this person isn't performing properly, then speak to him and tell him that yourself, but I'm not going to judge his performance because the same way people could judge his performance negatively or judge him negatively behind his back, the same could be done about me or any one of us in here. Um, and that kind of flew well, it didn't, didn't go too well. Nobody really, had that kind of integrity. But again, this was a room full of mainly white males. Um, and piggyback going on to, the, to my own personal scenario, I basically had a, have a situation where I have a new manager. It's a non-white male. Um, he would classify himself as quote unquote Dominican. 
but he can actually pass for a white male. Um, and my first introductions with him, things that he was speaking about, quote unquote, Haiti and his experiences there with black people was non-white people was very negative and I took that into consideration and it has come to fruition. Um, he's considerably divided the group, our team that has already been divided of, of 10 um, with white workers that he cohorts with and hangs out with, speaks with. And then he t basically categorizes us as almost like gophers. So even if our numbers match up and are just as good as our teammates, it's almost like he's shooting. He has a perspective that we're not doing work, that we're not as productive as the white males that are in the office. Um, upon this, noticing this and seeing this, I've done two things. I've uh, documented as much as I can via email work related subjects as far as compliments, um, special requests for my presence when it comes to uh, certain projects. Um, I've also set up a bi-weekly meeting with him for at least 15 minutes to go over work that I've done and how to make sure the work can be uh, more efficient. Um, and the third thing is I also bring my metrics, quote unquote, my numbers to show that my numbers are reflective and just as high as my counterparts that are quote unquote classified white. Um, those are, those are the actions that I've seen so far, but uh, I bring it to the, uh, to the listeners and yourself as well. Any other actions that I may take that would be uh, productive. Um, and if I may, I have something that's a little bit more personal. Um, I have a cousin that has married a white male that's a cop and um i i just don't know I, i've just had <laughs> i mean bad experiences with police officers and i just i don't even want him around me i literally try to avoid him every opportunity i get but i'm trying to figure out different ways to be codified without being um too too aggressive too stark in the face of I don't like you. I don't want you in my family kind of attitude. So if anybody could have any input on that one as well, that would be great. Cause I is the first time I'm, I've never experienced this um, to be quite frank. Um, I'll mute my line. Thank you for listening. Indeed. Well, <laughs> make sure we uh, get priorities. Uh, this here is workplace racism and everyone's favorite topic area eight. Uh, that is not uh, what this broadcast is focused on. And uh, I found that people get very excited about that. So we will have to reserve. I think I'll compromise. We can reserve the final two minutes of the broadcast if people have any suggestions for his, the latter situation that was presented about the unfortunate tragic arrangement. If people have any set, uh, suggestions for that last two minutes of the broadcast, but this is uh, focused on neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, the first portion of your commentary uh, about documenting, that's something that we stress on this broadcast for a long time, <laughs> years. Uh, we've talked about the importance of documenting, as have many other non-white people uh, on the job, especially when there are any sort of allegations uh, about <clears throat> you not working 
are, or not working as much as other individuals on the job. That's very common where black people get that sort of uh, accusation uh, on the job. Uh, I think that's spectacular when you do uh, the emails that you were talking about, any form of, because <clears throat> that's another form of documentation. It's, uh, it's time stamped, date stamped, uh, multiple parties uh, are now, the communication is there showing, documenting, hey, this is this such and such and such and such happened today, completed this, got this done. What's the workload going to be for tomorrow? Like all of that's documented, irrefutable proof, evidence, bam, you can just go print that out and you're good. Uh, when you say you present your metrics, uh, are you present, are you printing out data that the company provides or do you have, you know, your own system that you're using to uh, present your metrics in terms of what you've done on the job? Uh, that that's correct. This is a uh, company information. Um, we have a, a, a remote um, a coordinator. She coordinates all the tickets that come through. Um, and she was actually, uh, she's a non-white, uh, non-white female. And she basically reached out to me, letting me know that our new manager is monitoring all the non-white males wow. on the team. And uh, I kudos to her, like, really, <laughs> I don't even know how to thank her for giving us that information, giving me that information and um, allowing me to act appropriately so I could actually be ahead of the curve in regards to what he's been planning, whatever it may be. Well, seems like there's widespread, widespread black self-respect in some cases being practiced on the job. Uh, I certainly have heard, you know, a sizable amount of, you know, we've got that no good coon and, and this, that, and the other, but uh, at least on this broadcast, broadcast uh, over the last year. So I've heard a lot of black self-respect from uh, callers uh, and trying to help out other black uh, coworkers in situations where they can and even other black people helping them out as was the case here. I mean, that is spectacular. I mean, to, to just, and I think Emmy and others have talked about just at least being able to let a black person know you are under surveillance. <laughs> like, uh, do not be fooled. If you thought you were being watched, you are correct. And some take it seriously. They are looking at you extra hard. Like just that alone, uh, can be a huge boost. So absolutely black self-respect commendation to, uh, the female victim who, who kind of gave you a heads up and, uh, looks like you have heeded her warning. Well, documenting, doing your diligence on the job. Outstanding. Uh, if we have other folks, if you have suggestions on anything that's been shared thus far, or if you have your own situation that you want to discuss number again, six, four, one, Seven one five three six four zero. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings. Is this our uh, tech engineer? Uh, yes, this is a software developer in Wisconsin. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, all right. Good evening to everybody. Good evening, Gus. Oh, I just had a few observations this week from work. Uh, so um, 
Let's see, Tuesday, I went downstairs to ask uh, the lead architect a question regarding um, an issue I was working on. And he was looking at the sports betting material online. Of course, we all know you posted on your Facebook that they're getting ready to legalize sports betting everywhere. And I said, oh, are you getting ready to play for that? And he said, no, never. So his little minion came over and heard us. He said something to the effect of telling his wife that he could use sports betting for supplementary income. I said I wouldn't spend a dollar on a lottery ticket. The white male who came over then said, not even if all your coworkers were doing it. And I said, if my coworkers were jumping off a cliff, should I do that too? He said, yeah, if all your coworkers are doing it. I said, I would be at the top of the cliff watching you. And the lead architect starts laughing. Now, I, I think that was a test. I think I failed that test. <laughs> so it was a test of loyalty, which I, I probably failed, but whatever. Well, after that, um, the lead architect starts showing up to uh, meetings that he doesn't normally show up to uh, that I'm in and watching me, including uh, yesterday when we were in a three-hour meeting, and he not only watched me, but he came over to the computer that I was using to see what I had on the computer while I was standing up and talking to somebody else. This was a large meeting room, and there was something being projected on the screen. I stepped away from my computer. He goes over to, well, not my computer, but the computer I was using, he goes over to that computer to see what's on the screen. Um, so, yeah, but clearly under surveillance. Um, we also, I just for some background, we also have, well, I work at um, a travel software company. So it's sort of like, a, um, it's sort of like a, I don't know, I guess an intermediary between like an media and hoteliers, um, airline carriers and things like that. So we had a so every three months or so, our CEO gives uh, this thing called a travel talk, and there were at least four incidents of racism during this travel talk. Uh, the first one was, for some reason, we had to discuss the danger of traveling in Mexico. You know, with all those no good Mexican niggers coming out to kill you and 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 steal all your wares and everything. Um, he also mentioned an agreement between the U.S. Department of Commerce and Middle East airline carriers, uh, where the Middle East airline carriers now have to disclose all their financial information to the government, U.S. government, and they have to limit flights to and from America. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, our we have a team in Dallas, and they decided to call themselves Two Live Crew, which earned a side eye from actually one of the most confused black people in the building. That was pretty funny. And then they talked about giving the poor black kids from the uh, Washington Public School District the opportunity to see, quote, unquote, technology. One of the biggest, most overt races was involved in this one. Um, the final observation I have is uh, today I was, I have a bad habit. I, I smoke every once in a while. And so I was going outside to smoke, and we have these contractors from India um, who also who who are there for like a month or so, and one of them, a non-white, or well, a female, she comes outside after me and she's like, "Hello," and and she introduces herself, and I say hello, and she told me that she went out to smoke a cigarette. We're not allowed to smoke 
on the property of the company. So there's like um, an adjacent um, parking lot to our company's property where everybody goes to smoke is by a dumpster and everybody just goes over there. And she said she went over there and apparently the owner of the building of the building that the parking lot belongs to came out of the building and yelled at her to get off his property. And we just yelled very obscene things at her. She said she was very scared to do that. So I'm very scared to go over there and smoke. So I, I thought that was an important act of racism too, especially since, Everybody from our company goes over there to smoke. There's numerous people over there smoking during the day, and it's not anything out of the ordinary. So he obviously kicked her out. Um, and as far as uh, calling or as far as being asked to critique people in public, um, I've normally just said things like, oh, I think he's doing a great job. He could be doing the worst job in the world. Just say he's doing a great job and keep it moving, you know, and, and that's it. That's it. Or, you know, hey, this is not, this is, it's really not my job to give a judgment. So that's all I have. I will mute my line. Thank you for letting me speak. Yes, ma'am. Caller in Wisconsin. That absolutely, I like that one too. Like that is, uh, that is substantially above my pay grade to evaluate employees. (laughs) uh, Man, we need to talk about like a major salary bump for that. Anyway. That uh, two live crew, it doesn't get any better than tacky. At least those moments where you said uh, a non-white person who seems very confused about white supremacy at that moment even seemed to catch hmm something incorrect about whites doing this sort of thing, particularly in a work environment. And I think any time where there are like skits or opportunities for people to be quote unquote creative and relax, have some fun. Yeah, the racism, white supremacy is very likely to come out in those types of skits. I think someone else was, they were doing some sort of skit uh, in a workplace setting and some it, it ended up being something really, really tacky. I think the non-white person was like a thrown away adopted child in the scenario that they were going out. But look for the white supremacy racism. You probably were being uh, tested uh, some sort of racist shenanigan with the uh, jump off the cliff and and everybody else uh, here is doing it. If everybody else here is going to buy lottery tickets or uh, go gamble their money on, you know, whatever uh, the latest craze is, uh, you're supposed to do it. And particularly, I suspect that probably stood out to see a black person saying, really, this nigra is not going to go along with us and do everything that we're like, really? We have a nigra that is willing to, wow, that is amazing. We have got to watch her even that's exactly like, absolutely. Go look at her screen and see what she's uh, go see what she's doing. We're going to investigate more closely to see why our brain trashing has not been more effective uh, with this one. Like, yes, we will, we will have to study further. That is the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, appreciate that again, caller in Wisconsin. Uh, other folks, if you uh, have commentary uh, on what we've discussed thus far. Hello? Yes, greetings, Thomas in New York. Greetings, guys. Um, I've had a tough week so far. Um, um, first thing I wanted to say in regards to the last caller, um, this is why we need to build a wall to keep the Mexicans out because they're very dangerous. They're going to rape our women. I mean, let's not forget that's how Trump got elected, <laughs> making those comments. So 
Uh, it doesn't surprise me that it's a very anti-Mexican sentiment, um, especially um, in areas where there's a lot of Mexicans. Um, man, uh, this this Russian guy worked a few weeks ago, a Russian white man, he, um, but he's a Jewish person. He, you know, you know how they work their word game, but he's a white man. Either way, he comes over to me and um, he complains about the smell in the bathroom, like, this is my job. So um, I, it's in the bathroom, there's two toilets and a urinal. Of course, you know, the toilets have the, the you know, you can't see the next person using the bathroom. You know, they, they have the walls up like any other bathroom and one urinal. So it's a very small bathroom and a firm with, you know, at least 100 people and way more than half of men. I mean, probably 70 to 80 percent of men. So, you know, it, it, it does reek when you walk in there sometimes. Um, so... He bought his own air freshener because um, he wanted me to order a specific air freshener. And I told him, you know, that's not my job. You got to go speak to the receptionist. That's her job to order those type of supplies. So instead of he, him going to speak to her, he came back the next day with this um, very fancy air freshener. And he wanted me to put it on the wall in the bathroom. So I'm thinking, this isn't my job, you know. But at the same time, I'm thinking, man, I hate the smell of the bathroom, so I'm glad he bought this thing. So, you know, it didn't have to go on the wall. I was, I'm very tall, so I'm able to just put it up high where it's pretty unobservable. And um, so now he's trying to make this my job to buy the replacements for this thing. And it's, it's like I told him, like, I kept telling him, like, you got to go speak to the receptionist. I don't order things. You know, that's not my job. I, I go get food. But that's that's about all the money they give me. You know, I go to the bank for them to, just to deposit checks, you know, and get petty cash. But as soon as I come back, they got to count that. I mean, it's it's not my job, you know. So this guy, he harasses me every day about, yo, you know, um, are you going to change, you know, the same guy? Should I go buy my own? And I say, listen, man, you know, I'll, I'll get, take the stepping stool. And when it runs out, you could go change it yourself. You know, it's not you know, something I'm going to be monitoring, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, it's just becoming a, a, a pain. Now, this white lady today, she, <laughs> she pissed me off to the umpteenth power, okay? Because um, the firm um, that I work for um, has a file on, um, of course, it's an accounting firm, and they have to keep records of, you know, all the accounts they deal with. Uh, however, they go on paperless, so all these files have to be discarded. Uh, paperwork inside the files has to be handled appropriately. Um, some some of it will be sent back to the client. Some of it has to be shredded or burnt. You know, so um, this is the project I've been working on, which is taking up most of my day because there's there's thousands and thousands of files in the file room, and I'm doing each person, each individual person's accounts you know, one at a time. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people who handle these accounts. So some people might only have 20 files. Some people might have 500 files, depending on how many um, clients they, they, they um, have. So um, either way, um, this job has been, this, this task has been very stressful because it's not in order. You know, the people who did it before me didn't really stick to the numbering system the way they should. So this is like really trying to find um, a needle in a haystack sometimes to look for these files. And, um, every, you know, either way, I'm working with the partners, and, you know, I don't like working 
directly with white people in particular, white men. Um, um, but so um, every time you know, I'm cutting the fruit, and somehow the knives, the the cutting knives, wind up missing. Now um, they send out an email wanting to know who took, you know, if someone put it at their desk, who took it to their desk to cut something, please bring it back. Nonetheless, it's been um, almost eight or nine days now, and I'm cutting fruit with a butter knife, okay? And every time, I'm, it's a small firm uh, as far as, you know, the office space, and it's a small kitchen, and every time I turn around, I'm bumping into someone because they feel as though they could come and make a quick coffee. I mean, it's not enough space for three people. So I'm, I'm working around people who's reaching over me while I'm cutting stuff, and it's becoming quite frustrating. So I've decided that I'm no longer going to when someone comes in, I walk out, which um, she walks in and I walked out. So she's like, well, what are you doing? So I'm like, well, you know, I, I, you know, I need space. I'm, I'm working with a knife. I'm not going to cut myself. I, I, I would, you know, if she's one of these, she walks in and sometimes I don't even know she's there. I turn around and bump into her. Um, and it's like, oh, it's, you know, startles me. And she's, hey, how are you? And she just, she wants to reach in and take stuff with her hands, you know, that I cut. You know, and I specifically keep it in the kitchen now so that people don't do that. But, of course, she's special. She can do that because I can't tell her she can't. And she um, prides herself in doing that every day. Um, uh, either way, um, the fruit, spending the, um, the $60 on this um, fruit every day is still an issue. But she's not talking to me about it because... Like I said, I'm not changing up what I'm doing. This is how I was trained to do it. This is what the people that are in charge told me to do. And because she had a problem with throwing away a, a couple of apples or a pear at the end of the day, that's her problem, you know. So either way, I walked back today after doing, you know, the files all morning and then going to the bank for her. Now, mind you, I go to the bank for the firm. Uh, I'm the bank person. However... Somehow she throws her personal stuff up there all the time. Um, and I have to go to the bank sometimes specifically just for her and her husband who doesn't work there. You know, so um, this week I started writing down in my timesheet because um, they want you to be very detailed in what you did so they could build clients when I'm doing client-related stuff. I started writing down who I'm going to the bank for. So I put bank, you know, how many hours it took for me to do that task. And I went to the bank for X, Y, and Z. So hopefully they catch on to it because, you know, I um, don't want to go and complain about that specifically. But um, I, I'm hoping when the people who check my timesheet and allocate the hours see that I'm going to the bank. And I don't put her name. I put her husband's name there so that that way, because um, his name's on the account with hers. So I put her husband's name there so that way um, they know I'm going for her husband. If he has a different last name than her. Maybe she uses her maiden name. Um, but either way, I come back from the bank for her. I had to leave my file task alone, um, which is, you know, I have to catch up with that. But, you know, she left this check there yesterday that she wanted deposited into her account. And I said, if I don't do it today, it's going to be a problem. So let me run and do it, um, which cut my lunch break kind of short. But either way, I was going that way to for lunch anyway. So, um I come back and there's a list on my desk, detail as per, you know, she wants eight apples, 16 oranges. And then it's even telling me 
where to go get the food from. So she doesn't want all this stuff from the same place where I get it from. She wants me to go to the Amish market, which is three avenues six blocks away to get a watermelon every day. Um, um, you know, and she had the guy who did the job before me make this list. Now, he got off the train by the Amish market, and he would just go in the morning and get a watermelon. But the guy that does the stand where I'm at, he doesn't have watermelon all the time. So, you know, sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. But either way, I guess she wants that. And um, so now she, and I'm, 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 I'm going tomorrow, and I'm going to um, not complain about it. Uh, I'm going to insist that they lower the amount to $40 because it's cutting into the foul project, which is what the boss wants me to be doing. And, um, you know, and then if they ask questions, then I'm able to offer some. I don't want to just go and complain about it, you know, just flat out. But I'm not walking all the way to the Amish market every day to get this and go over here to get cherries. I'm not doing all that. You know, I have one food stand that I go to, and of course the street is a supermarket. If I can't make it work from those two places, it is what it is. I spend the $60, I keep the receipts, I keep the proof of it. It is what it is. So I'm going to tell them to cut it to $40 because it's becoming a, a, um, a problem. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to complain about where she wants me to go. I'm just hoping that leads to the conversation uh, where I can't complain about that. So, um, yeah, those are my two workplace, um, you know, well, that was my workplace for this week so far. But when I saw that list today, Man, it took me, I mean, I was so angry, Gus, and the old Thomas probably would have started typing an email or, or, you know, I would have, I mean, but I had to calm myself down and I had to snicker to myself like, man, what else did I expect from this lady? She's been consistent since I've worked here, so I'm just going to have to counter it differently. Uh, I did go to the gentleman who had the job before me. And I complained to him, like, yo, why, you know, she, he says, she comes to me and complains about the food you buy every day, that you buy too much, and then, and then, and So I had to make, she told me to make this list so she can uh, approve it and all of this stuff here. And I said, well, listen, I'm not going to all these places. I said, I'm going to have to go. And he said, don't go and complain about her. That's the worst thing to do. So that's why I think I'm just going to complain about the money. And hopefully that leads into the conversation where it's not like I went over there to complain about her. And I just want to know if anyone had any other suggestions. I'll meet my mom. Wow. I just, I mean, that is, uh, again, the book, it, I think it's been uh, mentioned in reference to Thomas in New York's uh, situation in this new position repeatedly, but Edward Baptist, the half has never been told. Uh, he just talks about the, the arbitrary nature of white terrorism and aggression uh, where it's not necessarily that the non-white person did anything incorrect or you know that they weren't working hard they could have worked just as hard today as they did on Wednesday that's irrelevant you just have someone who is a total psychopath and they enjoy harassing abusing terrorizing black people like that's that is the essence of white supremacy that means more than anything else that's my reason for being and i mean to see it expressed in so many different ways where so many I mean, the bathroom freshener no i want this one specifically 
I'm going to buy it and then I want you to go get. You are now responsible for all of the cartridges and keeping that maintained. I was even thinking it wouldn't surprise me if he had slipped some sort of uh, camera uh, in the in the device, whatever it is, fragrance device or what have you, uh, to spy on people in the bathroom. But anyway, uh, that, uh, the fruit, uh, just all of it coming to molest you while uh, you're, you're cutting the fruit and then to complain about the amount of fruit. And we want you to run all over New York to get these different types of enchanted bear. I mean, come on. <laughs> Edward Baptist, the half has never been told. He talks about this, this exact manifestation of white terrorism. I do think that that is uh, a quality strategy to not attach it to a complaint about her nitpicking, but just in terms of, you know, the quantity uh, that is too much. Maybe if we cut down on the amount uh, that that'll reduce a lot of problems because you're having people complain about the waste and then nitpicking about everywhere it's coming. Like maybe if we buy a little less, that'll reduce all of this. And this is not supposed to be my primary task anyway. What it seems like they want me to focus on is the filing and, you know, this is causing a distraction from that. I think that's a good way to approach it without it being anything personal to the white woman. Can I add some more dust, please? Yes, yes sir. I, I, have a, I have more to unpack here. So I'm at the beep for her. This was um, this week. It might have been Monday. And it was a check that was um, from Ivelyn, right? So, you know, not for the firm, for her. So when I Give them the first check. It was a regular check. The second one, they, they're looking at this check from Ireland, and they go to the back, and they come back, and they say, listen, it's going to take eight to ten weeks for this check to clear. Are you sure you want to cash this? Because there's, you know, you can probably get it cashed at, you know, certain exchange rate places, whatever. So I said, well, hold on. Let me call. So I call, and she's not there. So I said, man. You know, I, 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 I called the receptionist back, like, hey, you know, you connected me to her phone, but, you know, she's not at her desk. And she says, oh, I just saw her walk that way. Let me connect you back again. She connects me back again. She's not there. So I could come back to the receptionist. I said, um, you know, can you just let me know when you see her? So she says, oh, she's walking past now. I'm going to connect Thomas to you. So she's, what's wrong? You know, when she gets to her desk, like she has an attitude, because I guess I made her have to, you know, go to her desk and talk. So either way, I'm like, listen, you know, this check is going to take eight to ten weeks to clear, and uh, I just wanted to make sure you wanted this cash. Of course I wanted cash. Like, what are you? I mean, I sent it to you, and da 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 It's, like, real nasty. And I'm like, man, I'm doing you a favor. This ain't even my job. This is the day I decided I'm no longer, I'm going to start um, writing down what I'm doing with the banking. So that way, you know. But either way, um, so... I'm doing this while I'm on my lunch break, but, you know, of course, I'm extending my time on my lunch break because I'm at the thing. So I'm sitting down eating a sandwich, and um, I get a call. So I see it's the job number. So it, it just comes up generic, you know, the same receptionist number. So I'm thinking, what, something go wrong at work? Do they need me? So I pick up the phone, and it's her. Um, I got a call from this number. I said, oh, it's just Thomas. I called you about the check. Next time you call me, leave a message. And hung up the phone. You know what I'm saying? I'm, listen, I'm calling you about your check, okay? I mean, you talk about pissed off, guys. I mean, so either way, I'm talking on one day, another day this week. Um, I call, or maybe he called me, Mr. Firefighter, and we're talking about racism, white supremacy, and I'm, I'm taking lessons from his great knowledge. 
and I'm on the job, you know, and I'm walking. They took me to go get an ice cream cake that they ordered, and um, it was about four blocks away from uh, Baskin Robbins. Um, it, you know, was already, you know, pre, I guess, um, had the names and everything on it. So I, you know, go get the cake, walk back, I get back upstairs. So um, I'm carrying the bag through. So the receptionist is sitting there, and this lady, the lady I'm talking about, standing next to the receptionist, bothering her, harassing her. She's a black lady, the receptionist. So either way, um, she's like, I said, um, okay, I got the ice cream cake. Where do you want me to put this? She goes, shh. It's a surprise party. Why would you come in here? I mean, just start yelling out loud. You making more noise than I did. I didn't know it was a surprise. How did I know that? You didn't tell me that. You told me to go pick up this cake. You know, on my lunch break, once again. But I, I'll meet my line, Gus. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Thomas in New York, I got your back. That right there. I got your back too. <laughs> that is that is Edward Baptist. The half has never been told any excuse to yell at, fuss, humiliate a black person. Shh, talk to you like you're a little child or something like going to doing. And I thought that was a great uh, counter racist tactic as well. The terrorist who is getting sending you on these errands to go to the bank and cash check uh, checks for her whole family and what have you to put down the husband's name. Uh, I guess they might say that that's a uh, quote unquote dry snitching, but I think that's a great way to go about it where they can just look at the billing. Uh, if they're going to be that Nazi about, you know, the hours and, and how many, how much they have to pay this nigger. I go, well, wait a minute. Why is his name coming up here? Does he have an account with us? What's going on with this? Great tactic right there as well. But I mean, that's standard operating procedure. Uh, you're going out to help them with their cakes and banking and, and whatever else. And any excuse to just call and be nasty, and hang up in your face while you. That is racist man, racist woman, what it means to be classified as white. Context of white supremacy. I'm sorry you had to deal with all of that trashiness for the week, Thomas, in New York. Uh, if we have other folks that we have not heard from at all, if you have a hand up. Mine should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Greetings, everyone. Uh, just uh, had the time to tune in. Uh, all before I was uh, at uh, the hospital visiting my uh, mother, uh, I heard something about the... Uh, the uh, nagging white woman. Uh, what is the, uh, is there any question for today? Uh, I think I did ask how, or I get, yeah, suggestions on how to respond if you are prompted to publicly critique or evaluate a coworker, because that's come up. Uh, one a non-white person presented that as an issue this week. If we had any suggestions on how to respond uh, when asked to publicly critique a coworker at, at work, uh, they probably wouldn't make a habit of asking me because when it came down to a uh, non-white person, I, I made sure I never 
I never uh, had any super terrible relationships with a non-white black person. Uh, if there was something that uh, would have came to uh, some kind of uh, a consistent arguing and fussing, I just wouldn't linger, you know, through the conversation with, with a non-white person like that. So I would just avoid that particular uh, point and deal with them constructively as close as I could uh, or far away if that was the case. So when it came to something like that, if I was asked to do that, uh, it would be something that wouldn't hurt them. But uh, it would be a different situation if that was with a, if I was doing that with a white person, which I really don't see where, where that becomes an effective uh means where a non-white person is actually able to uh, uh, critique a, uh, a white person. But uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt to try to do anything to harm a, a non-white person. Unfortunately, uh, in that type of situation, non-white people are used consistently, as uh, Chief Phillips stated when he uh, was a guest on your program, they would use that non-white black person uh, to uh, harm to harm a uh, another non-white person. Although I would say about uh, Charlie, he had uh, a level of consciousness to whereas he was able to have that same codification that I explained earlier because he was often called to the station where Myself and Mr. Clark and some of the other uh, 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 crazy militant Negroes, uh, he was called to that station a whole lot for that purpose. Matter of fact, as you recall, uh, when Mr. Clark and two others got into that trouble, that uh, he refused to he refused to fire them. He refused to fire Mr. Clark and the other two guys uh, because he stated that they didn't do it. They didn't break any rules. You know, he actually he actually did the 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 the, the, the thing that most a lot unfortunately a lot of non-white people won't do, and and at the sacrifice of some damage coming to them, which it did, you know, to Chief Phillips, and uh, hopefully uh, through all of that mouth running I've been doing, I've I've answered the question. Thank you. Indeed, indeed. Context of white supremacy. Uh, Chief Phillips books. Uh, Chief Phillips book is fighting more than fires. Uh, it, centrally, the topic we are talking about right here this evening, workplace racism. Former guest on the program, as a retired firefighter stated, uh, even if I can uh, just briefly go back to what Thomas in New York shared, uh, where the white women were uh, multiple. I think he was saying multiple racists would come in the kitchen when he's uh, chopping fruit and grabbing things before he's done with it and reaching over him and he's bumping into them just being in his uh, space reminded me of uh, delectable Negro uh, even the taking of the food items uh, as a form of, of practicing racism and then just uh, the control of space uh, and really control of the black body in that space uh, by these whites uh, reminded me of delectable Negro. Uh, other folks have 
uh, comments, if we have any folks that we've not heard from at all, if you have uh, either your own situation that you wanted to discuss or if you had commentary suggestions on what we've heard uh, thus far, feel free. I think Thomas in New York asked for uh, suggestions as well on how to deal with some of his situations with these uh, white women, white people, period, molesting him about a variety of things in the workplace. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, uh, caller in Florida. Great. Um, uh, Sarah, uh, female caller. May I be heard? Yes, yeah, ma'am. Um, I'm not in Florida. Hi, how are you? Right poorly. Uh, called it before. Um, yeah, I'm right poorly. <laughs> Doing right poorly too. Uh, I called the show before. I work in the clinical research industry. I have tons of workplace racism stories, but I would like to make a comment about what I heard on the show from last week about maintaining a poker face. I Last week, I had um, to train a site on a protocol for a cancer study. Uh, my strong suit is not, my therapeutic, my, my main therapeutic area is not oncology. Um, even though I'm still learning and trying to master that area. And the presentation I had to give was in front of cancer docs, like people who specialize in oncology at a major institution that's known for their cancer research and treatment. And most, well, not, not most, all of the docs know that, you know, people in the industry who work in the pharmaceutical industry who are known as clinical research associates. We're not physicians. Some of some of us are, or or nurses or whatever. But most of us just, you know, have a, excuse me a higher degree, and we learn different therapeutic areas, and that becomes you know our area of expertise. Without having going to anyone's medical school, so I went into um, this meeting, and generally the training meetings for this particular protocol goes for four hours. I get there and he told me I only had 15 minutes to present 278 slides. Um, I had to talk really fast, but in the interim of me going over the overview and everything that needed to be done, there was like a panel of people just firing questions at me. And also, making comments about the way the protocol was written um, that were very rude that I had nothing to do with because I didn't write the protocol. It came from the actual drug companies. This is what they want. This is how you do it. And um, after, it, it took longer than 15 minutes. And after they were finished berating me and asking me all these off-the-wall questions, um, they just asked me to leave. So I was unable to maintain the poker face and not show how disgusted I was. Um, I left feeling very demoralized, um, very insulted, and it was just bad. I had never experienced anything like that in all the years I've been doing this. Wow. 
I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. That running theme, uh, I could just keep saying the book. It is in the archives. We did do that in the book club. Uh, the half has never been told. But, I mean, that's something, in my view, that whites live for. And particularly, uh, in my view, it's 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 glaring that that's what it is, that this is not one of those situations. Well, maybe they were just having a tough day. No, they're practicing white supremacy racism, and they live to exactly what I just said, humiliate black people like you have tons of white people that makes them feel better in between being able to get their opioid hit like i can go and and make these niggers feel i mean really like that's that's what we have in the system of white supremacy and like i was saying it what makes it particularly glaring when you go in i think you said you have 270 slides you would normally have a sufficient amount of time to Make your presentation, show all the material, what have you, for the drug. Not your pitch. You didn't make it. Just this is the way they want it presented. And they, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to give this nigger 15 minutes. That right there is all I need to know. This is white supremacy racism in action right here. We are setting you. And they do this all the time in the context of the job to set you up to fail. Uh, and then uh, in in my view, this is a situation that is designed to have you frustrated and disgusted. Uh, that's that's what we want to be up here and make, you know, our little snide remarks as she's going along. And, Hurry up faster. Oh, this nigga. What? She doesn't even know what she's doing. Oh, what a disgrace. <laughs> they live for that sort of thing. I feel like that. We saw that with President Obama live for these sort of moments to just humiliate and make us look bad. And, oh, they don't know what they're doing. I can't believe they got this job. You. Uh, you were saying you felt like you you didn't get to keep your uh, poker face. I would say you know don't don't feel bad. They were practicing racism, white supremacy. Uh, this is you know this is what we all experienced to various degrees uh, throughout our time on the plantation. Uh, knowing what you know now, uh, is there anything that you would have done differently? Uh, right, like from the very beginning or uh, throughout? Is there anything that you would there have done? Was nothing. Nothing. There was nothing I could have done differently. I did leave out. There was one black physician that was there, and the entire time, she was, this was one, with only two black people in the room. And she was just, she had a smile plastered on her face the whole time. But it was like, this is just how I smile all the time. It wasn't a sincere smile. It was almost like I've had a lobotomy and this is how I look now, smile. Like, that's all she did. Um, in terms of doing anything differently, I really couldn't. I sent the slides in advance. Uh, I sent the confirmation letter to the site to tell them what the meeting agenda was, how long I needed to present, what portions I was presenting, what we need to go over. I had provided them with all that information 15 days in advance of this meeting. So it wasn't as if they didn't know where I sent it to them the day before. That was not the case. So they had ample time and opportunity to give me enough time. It was just, it was just beyond the tale of reason to me. White supremacy racism. That That's what I've come to the conclusion. Anytime that you begin running into things where there's no logical explanation for why these things are happening and it seems to be incorrect or you're being mistreated or it's causing you problems and there's a total absence of logic as to why this is happening. That is white supremacy racism. That's just my code and how I operate and it has served me well. And generally it's right. That's 
that's what it is, <laughs> particularly when you cannot find logic to give you a better explanation for what's happening. Uh, I can't, if anyone can think of uh, suggestions for how you respond in that, in that situation, and I guess remaining uh, codified in what I mean specifically about the nonverbals, because that was discussed last week. That's what our call just brought up in terms of nonverbals so that you are not visibly frustrated so that you can kind of maintain uh, your composure. I was thinking maybe even reminding uh, the folks if they're voicing their frustration and they're making these snide remarks that, you know, I've been given a shortened amount of time. Uh, the normal presentation is, you know, however long it is, this many hours or whatever it is, I've been given 15 minutes. So. Oh, no. The snide remarks were about the actual protocol. Oh, okay. Okay. That I had nothing to do. I, I didn't write it. I didn't mm -hmm. come up with it. I had no input in it. Um, they didn't like certain aspects of how it was written. Hmm. Keep in mind, this is a research study, so it's not standard of care. So they wanted to argue with me over what standard of care was versus what the study was asking for, which was, it, it, even with just explaining it to a lay person, that's actually ridiculous. Because, again, it's research, not standard of care. We're trying to find something out. So uh, things are going to not be how they normally are. I see. I suspect that these individuals are aware of that difference. Like that's, yeah. yeah. Very aware. Yeah. Very aware of that difference, which was why it was like, how are you going to argue with me about, you know, pre-medications, the pre-medications that the study is asking for. It, it's just different aspects of the protocol, but it was like, I, I have nothing to do with this. This is not a standard of care protocol. This is a research protocol. So things are going to be done differently. And that's the only explanation that I can give. And I actually stated that at one point, and one of the physicians said, well, that's not good enough. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Just be rate a black. That's what it sounds like to me. Like we just want our fifteen minutes to be rate a black person, and uh, yeah, we'll be satisfied if you can just give us fifteen minutes to humiliate and degrade you. Then we'll be on our way. We can all get on about our day and feel better. <laughs> and I'm. And I feel as though my name is my birth name is not uh, ethnic at all. So. I generally get a different reception when I show up versus when I send emails. So that's another thing. I hmm. felt played into it. They weren't expecting a black girl. Hmm. Very interesting. Probably true. I think we've had some other folks who have uh, related to that. Either they, they have a name that would not uh, necessarily code them as being a non-white person uh, and or a voice that does not necessarily code them as being a non-white person. I think we've had a few folks who have noted that difference uh, in a workplace context in terms of how they're treated. Uh, context of white supremacy. We have uh, folks, if you have any, we have folks who have any suggestions for what we've heard from our previous callers uh, or if you have your own situation that you would like to address uh, if we've not oh we can get our caller in Florida thank you for yielding the floor uh, you should be with us sir 
Oh, yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I did have a, a suggestion in response to the, I think, that initial situation where if you are asked to, I guess, give an opinion or a critique of a fellow, I guess, coworker or whatnot, like I'm thinking, I would say, I said, um, I'm thinking like I would start out with how is this supposed to help me or I'm too busy with my work right now to even focus on someone else. Like, can you help me with this? Or um, is there a new plan for me to uh, review on what things I need to get done to see if that would redirect them on like your situation at work or how you can improve. Like I'm just too busy and I'm really focused on my tasks and responsibilities. Uh, like, I wonder how they will respond to that. Like, how is this supposed to be of help to me? Because I, I know way of answering that question because I'm just too focused on what I'm doing. Like, that's how I would uh, reply to that if it if somebody had asked me. Um, but, like, I had some uh, reports that I wanted to share. There was a guy, a black male, that came in to get his records and he had a couple of uh, battery charges, uh, unfortunately. And the he came up to the new black female that has been there for uh, four months now. Uh, congratulations to her. And she was making a commentary on the, the black male's attractiveness, external attractiveness. And she just said, yeah, but I don't know if I would, you know, uh, speak to him or something like that because you know he got all these charges. So the the white uh, white coworker, she makes a comment and says, "Oh well, he's just another Chris Brown." Okay, uh, and there was no response from that, but I I jot that down like I, I recorded that. And my next uh, incident is. Like I've been, I sent an email on my checklist to get my uh, my next promotion, and the the uh, the suspected racist that had uh, pretty much humiliated me and uh, was condescending a couple of months ago, he's been out for at least the last month and a half, and he just came back from getting hip surgery. So he's been lifting around the cane or whatever. And he <laughs> like, okay, so the context is I like I sent the email and I forwarded the email of what my supervisor sent me from a couple of months ago. And she was asking me, is this the correct list of uh things that you are required to do on a daily basis? And then I said, yes, I said, yes, ma'am, this is correct. So her response to it was that, you know, I sent this, I sent this, uh, this, this, I guess saying that it was finalized to the person, this guy, the white guy, uh, and he wasn't 
going on surgical surgical leave or whatever to get surgery. Well, this was months ago. So she said she would have to get back to me, uh, being that my job is unique, okay? And this person, maybe a couple of days later, he comes, <laughs> he walks by my desk, and the, the new black female is just totally uh, oblivious, but um, victim of racism, of course. And he is trying to pretty much deceive her and trying to be benevolent, kind, and whatnot. And, you know, speaking with her, saying that he just got out of a meeting, and uh, we're just trying to make sure that everyone's getting paid appropriately. And uh, it was about court administration. Like that, indirectly, that was language to, I think, uh, pretty much get a, re a reaction out of me or a desired reaction out of me that he wanted, but uh, pretty much get. So he has a shirt in his hand with the the company the company uh symbol on it so <laughs> he he offers me the shirt okay as some kind of act of kindness now this is done after i sent that email all right so like i told you they've been trying to give black people compensation and uh titles over the last couple of months so i that was extremely uh as you would say gus tacky and poor taste, ultimately an act of racism, trying to uh, get me to, for some reason, be controlled by him. Uh, th there was another incident as well where uh, there was there was a, a, like the circuit rider that came out. Okay, there was a page in there because they've been putting a lot of black people's faces in there. Like, I have my picture in there. A new black female was in there and she was just totally unaware of what she was in there for. She was like, nobody told me that I got a compliment from a customer. And our supervisor was speaking to us and she said, well, I didn't know either. And so I said, so you didn't know either, huh? So I'm like, how did that get into the newsletter? So she was just pretty much just quiet, didn't really give any kind of answer she did respond but it wasn't nothing significant but the point about this recent circuit rider was that the older clerk uh he's retired and they have like pictures from him and his wife on vacation at washington dc and they're taking pictures at different monuments and one of the monuments is the is the martin luther king statue okay like that <laughs> That that was put there strategically. You got a bunch of black people's pictures in this circuit rider, and you got the former clerk and his wife taking a picture in front of the Dr. King mon monument. That okay, that was put there for a reason, in my opinion, and nobody really mentioned this. Um, but as far as that goes, that is all that I have this week, and thanks for allowing me to share. Context of white supremacy. Courthouse, learn all you can. That Chris Brown uh, comment, I was pondering. That was almost one where I would almost have to genuinely ask, uh, 
what do you mean another Chris Brown? <laughs> like, uh, break it down for me, because I I really would like uh, uh, you know, give me give me a little bit more detail. Like, I know you know he's been accused of of whatever, but uh, yeah, like I might have asked just to follow up. But that's I'm glad you broke out the pad, write it down, excellent. Uh, the newsletter tag we had talked about that them weaponizing the newsletter and putting all the niggers pictures uh, in the newsletter for whatever uh, reason to make it seem like that they are just and they don't do anything incorrect hmm. the background noise yikes sorry about that well that wasn't me uh, hopefully uh, folks will remember to use their mute button if things are rowdy uh, on your end uh, but yeah, we had talked about them weaponizing the uh, newsletter before and then uh, not having information about how things happen on the job. Like, I, I don't don't know how that took place. I'm standard operating procedure uh, with racist man, racist woman, uh, denial and no snitching on other whites in the workplace. Uh, I'm not surprised either uh, about the I guess the way that they were were handling, I guess, going through your checklist of duties on the job and saying that, you know, we're trying to make sure that everyone is being uh, paid correctly. Like that sounds ominous. Anytime I hear language like that being used in a workplace around my work description or what have you, it sounds like whites probably conspiring. Like we might be overpaying this nigger. Let's, you know, see if we can take a few of those nickels away or add something. We're giving him too much money. We need to add some things to his workplace duties and responsibilities to justify giving him all of this cornbread that generally is the way I process it, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. How did you, how did you process those words? Okay. You mean like when he, he made that comment about that meeting? Uh, when he said, uh, what was it that we just, we're trying to figure out your duties to make sure that people are being uh, paid correctly or what, how did he phrase it? Like he was, he was responding to the uh, black female because she was telling him, like, maybe you should go home. You know, you're limping around a lot, and it looks like you're in a lot of pain. So maybe you should take the rest of the day off. And he responded by saying, "Well, I just got out of a meeting with court administration. It's a, I think they work for the state. They work upstairs, so they had like a, a little meeting. And he was adding in that, well, I'm just trying to make sure." that everyone's being paid correctly or something of that sort. And he kind of looked over at me and looked back at Okay. <laughs> like meticulous details. Okay. And just, I just think that he was trying to get a response out of me that would mischaracterize me, I guess. Not, we talked about the importance of the non-response, non-verbals, even very important, uh, even because I think a lot of times they are trying to get a response out of us, uh, even a non-verbal uh, response out of us. I mean, they are it, all of us. I think uh, the caller in Wisconsin was saying it before they were looking at her screen. All of us should be functioning as though we're under surveillance, like even our facial expressions and how we respond to things that they're saying. I think they do those. I think she had said, even before she got to the monitor uh, situation, the caller in Wisconsin, she was saying that she thought they were, I guess, running some sort of loyalty test on her to see if she would do what they would do buy a lottery ticket or, or whatever else. But uh, I suspect that, yeah, they, they do those types of things all the time to see how we're responding, what our facial response is going to be uh, in the workplace. Uh, 
all of us stay practiced, stay codified in not moving too much. Just listen. Hmm. Back to work. Context of white supremacy. Uh, if we have other folks, if uh, we've not heard from you at all, uh, if you have commentary that you would like to share, either your own situation or things that other folks uh, have chimed in with, feel free. Uh, any folks that we missed completely? Hey, can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Hey, how you doing? Uh, how you doing, Gus? This is uh, victim out of New Jersey. Um, you know, I just, I just, I like work, workplace racism. Uh, now that I'm, I'm learning more uh, about how racism works, uh, it's just amazing over the years how many, uh, how many things I just let kind of uh, slip by. Um, at work, um, I know you don't suggest going to uh, company parties, but I did attend. Um, you know, nothing over the top happened. Uh, there was there was alcohol involved. Um, I, I stayed for a short while and uh, left, so I survived the uh, company retirement party for a coworker. Um, a particular salesperson that I work with, um, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's overly friendly. Uh, he always expressed, you know, how much I'm a good guy. He likes me. Um, I want to say that he, uh, has, uh, um, European, um, uh, with a little bit of Hispanic heritage, but classified as white. Um, he 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 goes out his way to always uh, let me know in conversation this particular white person is racist or this particular white person is racist or uh, family members in his family are racist. Um, I really just, I stay mute and I listen. Um, I, I would suspect He's practicing racism. You know, I, I just really don't understand what's the need to express to me that the owner of the company is racism. He has a racist grandfather. I guess he's trying to let me know that he's not racist. So that's a mental note. So if anybody out there could let me know how would they handle that conversation. Um, I mean, you know, uh, if, if that conversation uh, persists. Um, I'm a truck driver, so, um, I have a Hispanic partner, um, the descendants of, uh, parents, many is from Puerto Rico. Um, so reluctantly when I'm on, I mean, when I'm on the phone, me and my cousin and other friends, we discuss racism and the system of racism, white supremacy frequently. Um, as we're talking about it, you know, uh, I always see him, you know, chuckle or roll his eyes or as if, you know, oh, you know, you guys focus on racism too much. I'm in the New York City area, so there was an incident of a racist white lawyer who went on a tirade about Hispanics speaking Spanish and how they need to be deported and how his tax money go towards their welfare. So today he's speaking and, you know, he's um, expressing how racist it was and, 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 and 
how over the top it was and his concerns. And I just thought to myself, as I'm on the phone and he's minding my business, as me and my cousin discuss our travels through this uh, system of racism and white supremacy, he thinks we're exaggerating. So I just listened and I just, you know, just thought in my head, I said, listen, there's no escaping racism and white supremacy. And being though that I work in New York City and I drive trucks and I deliver to restaurants, I'm always uh, in the presence of Hispanic workers. There's a lot of colorism within that community. Um, I'm referred to as Moreno. Um, I don't know whether I should take that as disrespectful, but I go out my way to let them know my name. You don't have to refer to me as a color. Um, in the Spanish language. And it's kind of funny that a lot of the Hispanics who refer to me as Moreno, I'm more of a light brown skinned guy. So a lot of these uh, Hispanics that I encounter or my complexion are darker. So, I mean, so the confusion um, amongst uh, Black Americans and also the Hispanic community, um, that race, that, 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 you know, that just comes to mind when they refer to me uh, as Moreno. Um, as of right now, so I won't ramble. That's all I have of now. And I'm just, I'm going to see if I can do this one first, because you said you wanted uh, suggestions on how to respond. This white guy that's coming up and saying, oh, yeah, these folks are racist. So this person is racist. So that person uh, is racist, kind of ratting out these other whites as racist and even other individuals I thought he even had said some of his family members perhaps how how would you respond to this person that was the one you wanted feedback on right uh yes okay yes. okay um just my view those are some of the most dangerous whites I think our caller in Florida isn't that uh racial focal pointing isn't that the term when they try and make it seem like it's just a small collection, not all whites are racist and certainly not I, but this small collection of whites in the corner, these are the racists. Isn't that the term racial focal pointing? Yes, sir. <laughs> right in action, right in action. In my view, those are some of the most dangerous uh, race soldiers because they can be really, really effective at getting you to think that out of the, after they've listed like 20 or 50 whites that are racist, like, wow, he or she definitely is not racist. This is the greatest white person since Tim Wise or, you know, John Brown. Like, So I would say be especially careful with this individual, like race soldier number one, in my view. But any suggestions on how you uh, like, is he asking a question? I guess just to be just to be specific, is he asking you a specific question that he wants you to answer or is it just how would you how would you deal with him in general? Uh, no, you know what these uh, it, like the first the first time he brought up the first time he brought up his family, and it wasn't a, it wasn't in in context of anything. Just you know, I back my truck in. I'm in the warehouse. He comes in the warehouse. He's rambling, and just man, you know what, man? Yeah, you know my grandfather, man. He's racist, and just, just out the blue. Um, recently. Um, the owner of the company, yeah, you know, uh, that guy, you know, uh, racist owner. Oh man, he's racist. The, uh, retirement party, you know, I, I came, I'm in a warehouse and, you know, I'm, I'm like, Hey, you know, I didn't see you at the, uh, retirement party. 
oh, yeah, you know, he goes on about how he can't stand particular white female who's retiring and how she's racist. So this is the context in which uh, he, 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 he deviates and, and, and to this person is racist, this person is racist, but I'm assuming not, not I uh, speaking in a third person. Indeed. Okay. Any suggest? Well, I guess one suggestion that I have, if you have a white person who works there, who is identifying other whites who work there as racist, I would write down date, time, exact specifics, because that could be invaluable. A year later, two years later, if something happens with one of these people that he has identified as racist, oh man, to be able to bust that out, like, well, on... May 16th, 2018, Tom identified uh, Fred as a racist and said that he had made a whole lot of racist statements. So I thought that was real important. I made sure to document it because he seemed real sure. And uh, now we've had this other incident that comes up that seems to corroborate what was said. Like I would document any white people, maybe any period, but certainly any whites that work there, if he identifies them as racist. I would be sure to write that down and everything that he says about why he is identifying them as racist. Uh, any callers with suggestions on how you would be heard? Yes, sir. Good evening. Um, well, being that the gentleman that just spoke, I would assume is less confused. He's not the What was that word y'all just used up for that phrase? Racial focal um, pointing? Racial. Yeah, so you're not going to fall for it. You know, you know what's up. So if someone's the white person is pointing out other white people as racist, I'm gonna make that my best friend. Yeah, what? Who else? You know, uh, questions, 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 questions. Oh, that's all I would talk about with that white person. And like Gus said, I would write it down. Any any time I get any altercation, I mean, this is like you get you're giving a gift from the gods. Like any time you get any altercation with anyone, this white person, if a white person says another white person is racist. Listen to them, because they don't do that, you know. <laughs> That's against their code, so they're letting you know, yeah, this person's racist. Um, write it down. Yes, beautiful. Um, the Marina, Marina, whatever, that means brown. Um, if you're black, they'll call you a negra, a negra, whatever. Um, with with, with um, people, uh, you said Hispanic, are they, what, where are they from? It's different ways, different types of people. Um, well, um, mainly, um, in the New York City area, um, Oh, okay, all right, so that's easy. Yeah, Mexico. don't call me, yeah, don't call me that-ish, you know, um, I don't understand that, you know, go somewhere with that, they know, they, you know, they, this is, you know, they, they understand that, they gonna stop if you do that, um, because, you know, if you, if you allow that to go on, right, they're going to start calling you uh, Ijo de Puta. They're going to call you a lot of stuff that you might not pick up on. You know what I'm saying? So you check that right away. Um, don't let that go down at all. Um, yeah, because um, I was even at the hospital one day, and just, you know, I, he looked like a Mexican dude called me a cow blown. I went off. Oh, you don't call me that. You know what I'm saying? And he, he got the point. So uh, I wouldn't um, allow that to happen especially from um, black people who are confused and call themselves, you know, Spanish, you know, because they speak Spanish, whatever. Um, but definitely that white person, man, you've given the gift from the gods, bro. I would 
follow him around. I would stick to everything he says. I would follow what he says, like it's the law of God itself. You said this person's racist, when you get away, write it down, time, date, like Gus said. And any time you get in an altercation with any of them white people, go to HR, you pull that up, he getting in trouble or they get in trouble. You not. I mean, my mom. Can I be heard? <laughs> yes. Is this our caller in Wisconsin? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, so I, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I have had experience in, in what you said, Gus, race soldier. That is the correct, the apt term for that. Uh, typically, that person is trying to get you to lower your guard so they can do a great deal of damage to you, get some personal information, uh, and try to use it against you. Like you said, Gus, that is a very dangerous person. Uh, there's a person like that at my job right now. Um, every time he says something like that to me, so-and-so is racist. He's even bought books. He bought, um, I guess, evicted. He said, oh, this has been on... On, uh, this was on President Obama's reading list, you know, and he bought it. He said, oh, I'll let you read it. And I was like, oh, I have three books I'm reading right now. I don't know when I would get to it. I would just immediately change the topic to work. So if you're pulling in and he comes up to you and he's like, you know, so-and-so is a racist, immediately I would just change it to whatever you need to do with whatever, whatever you have. Like, are we going to unload this truck? you know, where do I need to sign or where do you need to sign or what have you, right, and just get off the subject because that's, that's how they lower your guard, and they'll do that quite frequently. Those are the most dangerous people on the job. And, and, and you can immediately, you can, you can push them away, you know, and they'll come around and they'll try to get some more information. Uh, just always be watching those people. Make sure you're not giving them any personal information. Make sure you're keeping your answers vague or about work. Always steer it back to work. I'll meet my line. Thanks. Uh, Gus, if I can, if I can add in too, um, you, you you guys are 100 percent right because this sales this same salesperson uh, again comes to me volunteering information and expressed to me how another uh, victim. Uh, was handling customers on his route and how he was making sexual advances that was unwarranted at a particular customer. Um, the particular gentleman uh, of color uh, from the Caribbean, from uh, Jamaica, um, I just kind of listened. I noticed, I noticed gentleman's character, and I know that he wasn't, uh, I, I, I mean, I wasn't there but I can vouch for his character. And I'm pretty sure that he wasn't uh, making sexual advances at any particular customer. So he tried to, you know, get a response out of me. Um, you know, I just stayed there stone-faced. I listened, and I said, oh, okay, interesting. And I walked off. Um, I'm not pretty sure how codified this particular uh, black gentleman on my uh, job is. So... I really didn't even bring it to his attention. I just kind of mind my business because I knew it wasn't an issue, but you guys are right. And I do watch this particular gentleman on my, this particular uh, racist suspect on my job. Very good. Context of white supremacy. Uh, any folks that we missed completely, 
anybody that has a hand up that we've not heard from at all, uh, if you have commentary, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Might be heard. Uh, let's see. Ooh. Uh, hmm. Let's get the person. Oh, I can't see the numbers. They're making me work really hard. Let's get the person last four digits. Two two one five. Was that was that you? Two two one five. Hello, everybody. Uh, real quick, I wanted to uh, just mention this wasn't really necessarily um, direct uh, racism in the workplace towards me, but um, I work in the engineering technology field, and I just wanted to comment of, I think I heard Thomas say, uh, I believe it was last week or so, when he mentioned about the uh, software recognition facial recognition software. So and he mentioned something about how, um, you know, that type of software or program is generally programmed by someone who generally has those biases, right? And so there is this particular software that we have and a technology that we use in, in, in the technology field and our products that we create and the software that's uh, used uh, for communication. These devices would talk from one device to another. And one of the things that's that's used in the protocol is a master communication port that would talk down to another device that has a slave port. And so there's this, this terminology that's just being used for, I mean, at least a good 40, 50 years now uh, with the software, of the, the use of the terminology of master and slave communication. And it just... It didn't really dawn on me much. I mean, it, for the years that I've been involved um, with the company, whenever we had to come, it just kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable whenever we hear it and whenever you hear of white people using that terminology. It just, you know, it just kind of felt weird, you know. Um, and again, it, this has been, this has gone on for at least a year. If you trace back the, uh, the history of the software, again, you're going back at least a good 40, 50 years. So again, to Thompson's point, when someone sat down and thought this through, they had this mentality of, you know, master-slave, you know, one greater or one less than type of, of, of reasoning. Another software that, uh, that we have, it really made me think, it, it didn't really dawn on me until after I've been listening to your show for about a year now, and I came back around to this software where there are there's certain security um, configurations that you would use in the software, and we literally can create people and add the languages to a user or group. Um, and, and, I was, and when I was trying to explain it, it just I just couldn't help but to to think, well, you know, this really happens in the real world where somebody sits back and determines what group people go in and literally decide what privileges that this group can have and what privileges are taken away from this group, this, uh, another group. So you literally can create your own group. You can put the people in the groups that you want, and you can literally take away privileges from one group versus the other. And again, it wasn't necessarily a, a racist thing that, that happened towards me, but when I'm sitting back and I'm looking at this, I'm saying, wow. You know, somebody literally had to sit through and think this through 
And for the years that this has been around, this is the mentality that people had. I can put people in groups, I can find them privileges, and I can take away privileges from other groups. And the more I think about it in the software, it's like that's what's happening. That's what happens in, you know, in the real world with white supremacy and racism. Somebody sitting back thinking about what people are going to go into what groups and what privileges they can have and what privileges they can't have and what tokens are given and what tokens are taken away. And again, the terminology and just the way that it's being used in the software just really this really just makes you think. That's all. I just wanted to share that. That was it. Much obliged. Much obliged. I'd heard that Tom, uh, the technology of how slave is used in the tech industry and absolutely racist white supremacists. Uh, the language words are very important and frequently uh, their use of words tells you exactly what their mentality is as it relates to non-white people system of white supremacy and what their what is their ultimate driving motivation uh some of the other folks who spoke up simultaneously that we missed completely uh did you have commentary because can i speak to that guy offline if you can facilitate that please uh sure thing uh the caller if you drop me an email until justice at gmail.com uh, i can forward to thomas in new york Sure thing. Uh, Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, good evening, guys. Two eight one two from Virginia. Hope everybody's having a good call. Um, having a hopefully decent work week. <clears throat> so I don't want to say good timing; that wouldn't be accurate. But um, I had two incidents, um, and one incident was I have a gentleman that I work with. Uh, I'm just to give somebody background without. I'm in sales. Um, I don't have a salary. And um, so I'm just commissioned. Um, and uh, I go to an office a couple of days a week and I work there, but I'm not assigned to that office. Like I don't have to be there. I have other locations and, and I'm in sales. I'm in banking. And so I have this suspected racist guy that I'm actually doing business with now, uh, coincidentally. And every day that I come into the office recently, he will say, oh, hello, oh, background noise. He will say, oh, look who's in the office today. Very loud and it's very tacky. Um, almost insinuating like I'm, I'm, number one, like I have to be there every day, which is the misconception he has, but he's been doing it more frequently. He's like, oh, we got the privilege of, uh, he's going to be here for a couple of days. Great to see you. Oh, look who's here to do some work. And then I looked at him the other day and I just said, Hey man, come on. And he looked at me like, Oh, you're actually like, this is serious to you. And I didn't say anything back to him, but it was just very, very strange. Cause you know, he's, he's one of those white guys that's very quote unquote laughing and jokey. Uh, but also one of these guys that does a lot of hunting and talks about killing Muslims. So that's all you need to know. So, I thought I had a little self-respect in reference to just being a little bit more serious. Yesterday I had a conference call and we were discussing some numbers and my manager, uh, sales manager. Now I don't do, I, I think basically I think the capacity I could put him in is I just, he just monitors my numbers 
because that's it. Um, you know, I don't work for him or anything in that nature. He just kind of just monitors, you know, what we do as a sales force and as a unit. And yesterday we had a, a call and he went out of his way to basically embarrass me. Um, we were discussing uh, a, a work situation that he literally could have discussed with me offline. And he decided to take it upon himself to do it on that conference call. And the other three people on the conference call who were suspected racist too, uh, they didn't know he was going to do that. And after he got done, the whole call was quiet. And I think he knew what he did. Uh, I think he specifically knew what he was attempting to do, which was embarrass me in this situation. And it wasn't necessary. It was something that we could have discussed offline. Um, but my question to everyone on the call is that, uh, should I approach him about it and say that that was inappropriate what he did, or should I just continue with my plan of, uh, working towards a pathway to where he is no longer managing me or working with me in any capacity, which is what I'm working on either moving to a different company or just totally getting out from under him. Uh, because even though I might work for other suspected racists, there are some that are a little bit more tactful. Uh, they're all dangerous in their own way, but they might be a little bit more tactful. And I've worked for other people to where they don't handle circumstances in that way. And the reason why I was able to observe it is because I coach and I coach basketball. And there's just certain ways that you even have to communicate with kids and adults. And, you know, there are certain things you talk to people, you don't have to talk to them about it publicly. And I'll go ahead and mute my line. Thanks, guys. Indeed. Uh, for the question, I guess, that was asked, is this worth uh, addressing this now uh, as him being unprofessional in kind of publicly uh, dealing with this issue and something that, you know, could have been addressed uh, privately between the two of you? I think it, at least for me, it would depend on what the timetable is going to be in terms of how long for you to successfully execute your plan. If you think that this might take six months, four months, that's a long, at least in my view, that's long enough to have to be with him that I would prefer to have that be as a four months with as little turbulence as possible. So if addressing this will minimize some of the tackiness over the next four months, then I would do it. If I think my plan, if I can execute my plan faster than four months, where this is something where it might not take but a month or so or six weeks or so, meh, it might not be worth my time to even bring it up. Like I can just put that time into getting my plan and that might even motivate me to, you know, get this done quicker. Uh, the timetable for how yep. long I'm going to have to endure him would probably be a big motivating factor with regards to, you know, whether I'm even willing to invest the time to address this issue. Uh, did other folks, did you all, do you all have an opinion on whether or not you would address uh, the caller, whether or not, um, not the caller, whether or not you would bring up this issue in terms of uh, being professional? If if there's something that needs to be discussed, let's do this privately in a professional manner. Would you all bring it up or would you just, hey, I'm I'm trying to get out of here anyway. Folks, yeah, have you heard? I would say keep a record. Keep a record. Was that it, Thomas? Yeah, have you heard? 
I heard, I heard you as well. I, I heard folks speak up, and then they they only gave a partial. Or I guess maybe that was it. Thomas in New York said, "Keep a record." No, uh, that, I was just saying, keep a record of it. Don't don't go say anything. Just keep a record of it. And if anything ever comes up, you pull up that record. You know, in fact, email yourself every time it happens. Exactly what was said, the time, the date. You know, we'll be stamped on that email. And if that if you ever have a situation with this person and you have to go to higher authorities, you pull up those emails and you bring them in that meeting with you. Okay. The other person that uh, spoke up, did you have a, a thought on whether or not you would address this issue? Um, I, I, I agree with uh, both yourself and Thomas in New York on, on those tactics. I think they both can be used. But um, also, I, I think regardless to whom or what, he should still speak up. Um, presumably later on when he's about to leave, uh, I think that'll probably be best because just practicing that and becoming more codified about speaking up for yourself as a, as a, it's, it's not something that it comes normally for us because we're so beaten down on a daily basis so that just getting that off your chest and not allowing that energy to go to your family, that negative energy to go to your friends, put it where it belongs right back to him. And I'll mute my line. Great perspective. Practice codification at speaking up and addressing when we're mistreated, especially a job that you're going to leave. Always think it's great to practice codification. That's a great point. Uh, other suggestions? Would you speak up and address the situation, or would you just, you know, put the energy on uh, your exit strategy? Maybe folks are still pondering. We'll. I'll check in as we continue the next. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. I'm sorry, uh, I'll cut you off. But, um, hello, can hello, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am, heard you as well. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I was I was been trying to speak for like ten minutes, and I I didn't know if there was a problem with the line. Um, I, I'll mute my phone again. Okay. Well, the mail yeah, caller that. I'll I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah, I, I would just say um, I would try to, um, you know, give it some time and then probably say something. Then and though it seemed like he um, has great concern to staying at this job. Um, but other than that, it, I mean, yeah, I would, me personally, I would probably say something immediately. But um, it, it seems like he, he really wanted to stay at this job, so I would give it some time. Uh, maybe a few days, maybe a week or two, and then probably, like you said, you don't want to wait until too much time passed, and I'll, I'll probably approach it that way. But I, I definitely think on um, what I would want to say and how I would want to say it uh, before I even try to make that step. Okay. Another ad- yes, ma'am. I wouldn't say anything. Uh if your goal is to have him not be your supervisor anymore, I would put my energies there um, primarily because he probably wants a reaction out of you. And if you give him the reaction of saying something to him, he'll have that satisfaction and he'll know that he got to you or he got under your skin because, like you said, he, you feel as though he knew what he was doing. Um it sounds like if it was something that could have been discussed offline, it sounds like it was a provocation. So I would not feed into it at all. 
um, I would actually wait to see if there was another provocation, probably in the next few weeks, and then you'll know for sure that he has an agenda. Be a bit more strategic about things. I like that as well. Yeah, appreciate it. Indeed. Uh, let's see. Uh, anybody that we missed completely uh, who's not been able to share? Yes, myself. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Hi. Good evening, everyone. I'm a first-time caller. Um, I uh, just to uh, answer the the previous question. I I agree. I think with mostly everyone that he shouldn't say anything and just focus on. Um, uh, pursuing the the shift in direction, um, Gus. I sent in an email um, about my workplace situation. It's a follow up from a few weeks ago. I was wondering if um, I'm willing to speak about it, but I I wrote out details. I was wondering if you're willing to read it. Let's see. Do do do. That's uh, this is a an awkward one. Most of the time, when I read emails, the person who wrote the email is not with us live as I'm reading it. But oh, okay. uh, I'm absolutely well, with. Oh, okay. I've been shy. I've it, been shy, and um, but I, you, you, you know, I, uh, you said it's particip- participatory call, and um, I uh, plan on calling in and reporting on other things. So I just wanted to kind of just break myself in. No, but I would still like to remain anonymous for now. Not a problem. Okay, so uh, is this your update? The one uh, it came in since the show went live. This is your update. Correct. Okay, uh, I will read the update, and then do you want to add? Yes, I can add. I can add some more details and some other things that um, uh, I remembered um, as I was thinking and writing. Okay. That I didn't add. Okay, so she's given us the background. Uh, I'm employed at a very progressive nonprofit financial organization. The overall mission is to help uh, non-white people. Uh, now, see, it says POCs, people of color, women, low-income families, etc. See, I would read that as uh, non-white people, white women low-income families, etc. Anyway, obtain the financial services and products that may not be able to get anywhere else. This organization acknowledges the existence of racism, white supremacy, and has several staff groups for the various racial classifications in addition to a new racial equity initiative that's been launched intending to address inequalities within the organization. For example, there is a white group, a black group, and now a new POC group in addition to the equity initiative. As you can see, we do a lot of talking and appearing to address the problem. It is also worth noting that the founder regularly receives death threats and has been physically attacked by white supremacist groups as retaliation for related legislative government policy work. He also confirmed that the members of one Klan group that vowed to destroy him includes two former CIA directors. I was quite shocked to hear this candid admittance of racist government. Looking back, I see key mistakes initially of starting this position. The biggest one being too open about my life and inviting co-workers to a birthday party at my home. Yikes. My manager and director did not attend, but a team member and other white staff did. Scenario number two, the manager and director. 
I'm a video producer and was hired directly by my company as an employee on a termed contract one to two years to assist with creating a series of short films, scheduling, organizing media, creating documentaries. I worked directly with a manager, white female in her 40s, who is responsible for the project I was specifically hired for, but my official supervisor is my director who is in charge of our entire team. When I first started, they talked about how happy they were to have me and even mentioned how overqualified all of the applications were, including myself. They were eager for me to help get things organized. We were working on several short documentaries with lots of media files. A couple of months after I started, my manager initiated two conversations with me about taking on a bigger role in the project. She said she and the director, white female, 50s, suspected anti-sexual, mm, had talks about me producing one of the short films and another discussion about me taking over managing things as the work was taking up more of the manager's time than expected. There was a knowledge gap, so they initially hired a consultant before I started the white female 40s sus uh, suspected anti-sexual. Uh, to advise on the production process and all team members have helped produce a video on top of their normal job responsibilities. Late last year, the videographer, white male in his 40s, had a serious stroke and is unclear when or if he will return. My director says approximately one year. However, he has to relearn how to read and write again in addition to the media software we use. He has a graphic design background but was doing an okay job shooting. I spoke to him recently and the conversation was mostly incoherent. He said he is like a child and he doesn't know how much he will be able to relearn. He just sits around all day until he goes to therapy. Since his illness, I have taken on more of his work, including a nightmare task of sorting through and organizing thousands of vaguely named video files he was managing in order to finish the projects he was working on before the stroke. I have also been asked to reshoot events and internal trainings, tasks he also performed. In December, my manager and I met with other staff members to discuss finishing up edits on a video uh, not related to the project my coworker shot. Before the meeting, she came into my office to inform me that my director didn't want to spend too much time on the remaining edits and not to agree to anything too time consuming. Uh, when we went around the table for intros, I said, hi, I'm and I'm going to be editing your video. I did project. Uh, I did project excitement and was genuinely happy to be working on something different. I now see that was the issue. After the meeting, she came into my office, closed the door and said she felt undermined by my introduction. She then repeated what I said, projecting a similar tone with a focus on the I'm going to be editing your video part. I initially said I'm sorry, which I now regret, then clarified that wasn't my intention. She responded she just wanted to get that off her chest, mentioned something else, then left. She's clearly burned by my competence and insecure about something. Another time I conferred with her on the title for a blog post I was writing and she was leaving she said I guess I'm pretty smart huh I gave an affirmative response like yeah sure or something like that I now wish I hadn't when I first started I suspected she was on some kind of medication because her hands and face 
twitched slightly. I keep saying that opioid thing for a reason. Uh, I walked into her office once when she was taking pills and she mentioned she was having a bad reaction to some drugs, opioids. So far, I have done three internal videos for the organization. In addition, excuse me, in addition to the work I was hired for. Also, my PC has a device license <clears throat> only for software I need. And the director says she couldn't upgrade my account to give me access to our editing suite on multiple devices so I can work on my faster system and at home without buying a new version. This is Adobe CC. I contacted the accountant, uh, the account representative who confirmed all they had to do was upgrade my user account at a prorated price until the annual renewal in a few months. She lied. In February, I was due for my six-month introductory review, which coincided with the normal annual review period for most employees. On February 2nd, my director announced on the weekly call that she would be scheduling meetings with everyone individually for the upcoming review process. A few days later, February 15th, when I was working on my coworkers' files, my manager comes into the office to ask me if I had finished and given the hard drive to the consultant who was going to finish editing one of the videos he was working on. Uh, note, the consultant has since taken on a producer role. I picked up a lot of nervous energy and felt really uncomfortable because she has responded to an email earlier where I confirmed that the consultant would have everything later in the week. My manager then tried to make an issue about delivery of a blog post I was working on. The plan was to do a blog post later that week, but we discussed that the deadline was flexible and could be pushed back because the blog is her principal responsibility. However, my director instructed her to prioritize fin finishing our annual report. I've been helping her with other tasks, and I see that she was starting to treat me like a personal assistant and using me to cover skills gaps with some of our software. She later told me, the director okay temporarily changing the blog schedule from weekly to bi-weekly until the report was finished so whenever she would pop in to ask me about it I would say I'll have something tomorrow the problem was organizing the files was more challenging than I anticipated and I was focused primarily on sorting that out she mentioned that she had her review that day February 15th, and I wondered if that is what sparked her pushy intrusion into my office. She told me that she was anticipating the blog because I said I was working on it, but it's no big deal because of the schedule change and advised me that sometimes it's best to underpromise and over deliver. I told her I understood there was no hard deadline and that I'm contracted specifically for the video project and have to prioritize that. She backed off but ended the discussion by saying that she wanted us to trust each other. This was a big signal for me that she was now working to stab me in the back. The conversation was a waste of my time and irritating to say the least, considering I had not really missed any deadline. Uh, I'll stop here just because there's a lot more detail and you're with us so you can kind of pick it up now that we have a considerable amount of background information on what's going on in the workplace. Uh, do you want to pick it up from here? Yes. Um, do you, you prefer me just to summarize or read, read the rest of it? 
Uh, you can you can kind of give us a summary because I think this is background, and you said you had addition you had additional info that you oh, wanted to add. Oh no, this isn't this isn't background. This is kind of explanation. So oh, it okay. just goes into yeah. This is an explanation. I'm sorry if it's a little long winded. I hope it's. <laughs> um, but what's happened is that um, really the the second part is the real issue with. Um, I haven't been able to, I had trouble, it took me three months to get my initial um, introductory review. Um, and so I had to go to HR and uh, ended up escalating and following up with the general counsel. But my director, um, when she initially uh, said that she was gonna be reviewing everyone, I sent her a email to just get clar clarification and confirm uh, what the process would be like for me because I didn't know if my status there's there's a lot of confusion in the organization and they're growing and they don't have a lot of systems in process so I wasn't sure if they just weren't confused about how, how I should be treated or not but she was always very dismissive and she uh, it guess it would just be really easy for me to read through it okay yes ma'am that's totally totally fine okay, okay. I'm sorry. I just kind of thought it out because I, in my mind, it's kind of everything's kind of linked because I feel like essentially I feel like my manager and director are, are kind of working together. And I think they, I think the priorities have shifted and also they're circling their wagons to protect the coworker that got sick. And there's also um, just the base, you know, simple racism, like why would they, um, you know, lift me up or promote me over the consultant or um, pay me more instead of giving the work or the contract to the consultant that was hired. Um, so, one second. So, after she came into my office. After the stabbing in the back part. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, so this was a big signal for me that she was now working to stab me in the back. The conversation was a waste of my time and irritating to say the least, considering I had not really missed any deadline. The next day, Friday, most folks left early and on her way out, my director stopped by to thank me for working on the files and told me to leave early if I wanted to around, around 4 p.m. I stayed the full eight hours because I'm paid hourly. The next week, my director caught me in the kitchen and asked me, asked again how things were going with the files. She thanked me again for working on such a difficult task. And when she went, uh, she thanked me again for working on such a difficult task. And when she went back to prepare her lunch, she coughed two to three times. I responded in kind, coughing even louder as I walked back to my office. At this time, my director still had not scheduled my review. On, two, on February 20th, I sent her an email to follow up and get clarification on the process for my term contract status. She did not respond, so I turned on my recorder and went to her office to inquire. She's one of these fast-talking types that always acts rushed and can be dismissive. 
She confirmed that I do get a review, but was unclear about another aspect of staff development called catalytic coaching that she said I do not get. A month later, my review had not been scheduled, so I went to HR and got clarification on the terms of my contract and learned that I am to be treated as a regular employee and receive the same review and coaching as other staff members. The HR rep said to give her until April 1st as a reasonable time to schedule my review. During March and April, my director mentioned nothing else about my review and the conversations about me taking on more responsibilities on the project died out. As a side note, at the beginning of the year, the company also paid for my manager to take a documentary filmmaking class about two to three weeks long. On April 17th, I sent my director a second email asking to get my review on her calendar. She did not respond. On the 19th, she stopped by my office on her way home for the day and said she got an email and we would do it meaning the review tomorrow. The next day, she was in fact out of the office and sent no further communications about when I would have my review. I then made a formal complaint to HR, this is a black female older in her 60s, and explained that I was having a problem completing the review process, sharing the similar details I outlined with you all, in addition to documenting the policies and procedures that were being violated. HR thanked me for coming to them and said they will follow up with her to get my review completed. I also had a similar meeting with our general counsel, a white male in his 40s, and the word is that he's the person to get things done when you have issues. Adding to that conversation, the inconsistent statements that my director made about giving me access to the video software. We finally scheduled my review on May 7th, almost three months after my six-month milestone. The review was mostly positive, but she did mention stumbles in communication and time management that had already been addressed. I also asked her about a pay increase as I am doing some of the former employees work and she said that doesn't normally happen. And she said the pay increase discussions or the salary review is separate and that doesn't happen until about a year later. Now to more recent events, last Friday out of the blue, my director popped into my office to ask what I was working on. I didn't document verbatim what she said, but she made comments about being worried about me not having enough work. I told her I had plenty and was working on tasks I reported to during the weekly call on Monday. Her line of questions bothered me, so I turned to my recorder and went to her office to deliver the signed printed copy of the review because I had to add my own comments and then sign it and give her the hard copy. I was sure to note in the section for my comments that there were initial discussions about me taking on a bigger role, but those talks died out, and the current plan is to see how things go with the consultant producing the videos with me in the same support role. I asked her if she had a quick moment and told her that the um, I asked her she had a quick moment and told her that the manager had mentioned the opportunity and asked what happened to that idea since she was concerned about my workload. And so I'm recording this conversation. She stumbled over her words, but managed to string something together about um, there not being enough time, I guess, if I produce a video and if I was also assisting or supporting a, another video project simultaneously. This week on Monday and Tuesday, she made similar comments asking about what I'm working on and said she was worried about me getting bored. I had to think for a minute about what she might, uh, what might be motivating this, then recall that another coworker on another team this is a non-white Hispanic male from Puerto Rico, asked me about uh, shooting a video coverage for internal manager's retreat they were having. That was held on, men on Wednesday. It slipped my mind, and then, but I realized he never got back to me, so I sent him an email Wednesday morning to follow up 
and he confirmed that the idea got shut down. Those are his words, stating he would push harder for me next time. I replied to ask who was against it and why, and I tried, I framed the convert, the question in a way to not, you know, maybe alert him or make him think I was trying to start drama, but uh, he has not responded. So I plan to pop in his office to see if I can get a recorded answer. Uh, when I met with the general counsel, he specified that the company has a strict non-retaliation policy and also provided examples of retaliation. And, um, you know, he said, I obviously can't be fired because I went to HR and he specified like subtle forms of retaliation, like my director speaking to everyone or not speaking to me and subtle ways you can be treated differently. So my question is just everyone's kind of thoughts and analysis on, on what happened. I'm wondering at this point, why did they even hire me apart from just really being incompetent about how the, the process really works and what they need? Um, are they trying to fire me? Kind of what should I do? You know, just please provide general thoughts, critique on the code, things like that. Um, I would say that someone told me that my manager, the one who I mentioned, um, I thought taking pills, she, um, it's funny, I, I didn't think about opioids, Gus. I initially thought about maybe um, some kind of depression or something, but someone did tell me that she was in a bad car accident. So that if she was, you know, physically injured, she may have been given some kind of opioid. And then another thing that's happened is something that stuck out is the battery to the video is missing. The video camera, the battery to our video camera is missing. Um, excuse me, the battery charger. Um, so I suspect that someone may have snatched that, but I don't shoot too regularly, so it hasn't come up as an issue yet, yet but I'm suspicious of that. Um, and it was interesting when I met with the HR rep, the black female, I really felt like she was trying to feed me answers. Like she, she kept, when I explained what was happening and I was having a problem getting my review, she kept saying, so, so what do you, what do you think, what are the reasons why you think this might be happening? And she was saying, do you think they might be confused? Do you think, you know, the director may just be confused because your contract is different? Um, my contract's kind of unique. She said I'm maybe the fourth, third or fourth person in like the seven years she's been there that's had that type of contract where it's, you're an employee hired directly by them, not a temp agency, but it's a really long term. It's not like, you know, short three months. That, that's it. Thank you, Gus. I appreciate everyone for listening. Um, I'm a first-time caller, so I'm sorry if I'm you know, not on code or I don't uh, know all the formalities or the rules. We are still learning, uh, all of us. So, <laughs> you know. uh, thank you for, for sharing. Um, wow, it's, it's, uh, that's such a that's such a difficult situation. Um, I don't know mm -hmm. if that's, I don't know if that's the sort of environment that you want to be long-term in terms of, you know, what in your mind, what would be the best way for that to, for that situation to resolve itself. Uh, I think you did a great job with uh, the recorder, with going to see the HR representative when the deadline had passed for your review. That's why I say uh, emphasize on the broadcast on a regular basis, policy and procedure uh, because a lot of times that'll be listed uh, in your policy and procedure manual <clears throat> that hey you are supposed to get a review within a certain amount of time uh, and that way they can address if there are any concerns any deficiencies in your performance 
that can get addressed. So you can have a pro- opportunity to correct all of that. When you don't, and then they wait later. Oh, man, you're just not up to snuff, man. We can't get you that that salary increase. They said that's supposed to be take place a year later or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, you know, just we got some concerns. Communication hasn't been that great and got some concerns. Don't know if you're going to be able to get that raise or not because I didn't get my review in a timely manner to grow as an employee here at the company. They do that sort of. And just when that's why I say whites don't get benefit of the doubt when she says, OK, We'll do your review tomorrow, even though we're way late, already in violation of policy and procedure. But OK, we'll we'll do your review tomorrow. Just want to chop in, and say, hey, before I, I step out and then not here tomorrow. She already knew she had probably already set up her office voicemail. Oh, going to be out of the office tomorrow going, you know, skiing, doing our thing tomorrow. Be back on uh, after the weekend. She knew she wasn't coming back. And I just take the position that whites do that sort of thing all the time deliberately lying to non-white people and disruptive lies so that, oh, yeah, I can get prepared. I'm doing my review. They waited all late and everything. I finally get it. And you come in and she's not even there. Like, wow, like just total act tacky. It doesn't get any better than tacky uh, in the workplace. I think document, continue doing a great job documenting and recording when they're missing deadlines and doing things that are in violation of their policy and uh, really hampering your development as an employee there, uh, continue to document. I'd review if you want to stay there. I mean, if if with these type of tacky people, and I just take the position, any of the whites that are talking about racism, like even trying to give the appearance that we're not racist and we're addressing the problem, like those are some of the worst race soldiers to be around uh, for a variety of reasons, um, some of which you shared with us during the, the conversation this evening. I would just make an assessment about if you if you want to even be here uh, for a long-term basis, uh, and then based on that, you can figure out, you know, in terms of what you want to do. It sounds like you're doing a great job applying your your code, at least from what we heard. Uh, other folks who, who listened, who heard some of the details, do you have any suggestions uh, for how she's dealing with her situation? And real quick, Gus, why do you why do you think they hired me? I think a lot of times, what particularly in these type of outfits, right, where you said this is it's uh, POCs and and women and mm-hmm. poor people, like it's great to have Negro window dressing. Love that we can it uh, for whites. They do, and it sounded like from everybody that you named, I didn't hear any other non-white people. All the people that I named, it was white women this in her forties, white women in her fifties, white man in his forties. You don't want an organization that's supposed to be about ending racism, and all you got is whites uh, in the group. You got to have some niggers that look like they're doing something other than fetching. Co- in my opinion, that look like they're doing something and fetching coffee, and you know maybe doing some babysitting uh, and particularly if they brought you in and you noted uh, from what I read, you noted when you, you went and you were in charge and you said, I'm going to be in charge of your video editing. The white woman wigged out. She had to go and get her opioid, uh, opioid fix. Maybe uh, that right there. We want a nigger, but I don't know if we want a really competent nigger, especially if they're all disorganized and, you know, whatever. I don't know if we want a really competent nigger that's going to come in here and do some excellent work and be in charge and make us look shabby. Like, wait a minute now, that's, you know, not what we picked on at all. That could be part of it as well. Uh, yeah, but they said they said I was overqualified. Like every, they said everyone that applied was overqualified, you know, including me. So, but I guess, I don't know, I guess they didn't, you know, I guess it's not real 
because I'm black, like I'm really not as competent as my resume states. Who knows? Because they're racist, uh-huh. white supremacist. Uh, did listeners any feedback uh, for our female caller here? Any any suggestions or feedback for a situation? May I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, sorry, first off, that she's uh, dealing with this. I mean, we all deal with it, but that's um, it's still it's still tough and uh, difficult to hear. Um, I I do think one of the things that you you question and I, I'm. And it's, again, I think that's really on code of yourself is like, why did they hire me? And I think uh, Gus touched on that um, very well. They do that quite often, um, dressing up. And in this age of diversity and quote unquote interracial dating and all these other Me Too, Me Too movements and everything that's supposed to be um, positive or going in that direction, I think it's just smoke and mirrors and hiring you is uh, another aspect of it. Um, but I do, I do say, I do want to ask you this is that how do you think they perceive you? Because from what the story that was given from what was read, it seems as if they hired you thinking that they could, they had a good little quote unquote little servant, so to speak, that would go bound about and follow, follow everything they said and do everything they ask you to do and just play your little role. And it seems like they're now realizing that you're way more competent and you're a threat. And I think that that's why you're seeing such backlash, quote unquote, like you're getting that right now because you are seen as somebody that is threatening. You could actually be in a higher role, in a higher position for most of those white people that are usually incompetent in those higher roles and in those higher positions. Um, but that's my, my question for you. Like, how do you think they perceive you? Cause that has a lot to do with how you're going to be treated. I mute my line. Thank you. Uh, excellent insight. I agree with that. Um, and that's kind of the conclusion I'm starting to come to. Um, I think I mentioned that I've kind of started to realize that my manager who, you know, directly supervises the project was, she was treating me like her personal assistant. Like I, in the interview, I agreed to help her with some of her other tasks. She tasks. She's a copywriter, so she's responsible for all the writing. So she, um, you know, writes and oversees all of the scripts for these different documentaries. But her other work is still in the blog. You know, any writing internal to the organization. Um, but she um, can't use really any of the um, Word soft, the Microsoft Suite software, except for Word. She can't work with Office 365 online. She likes to print out everything. Um, so I, uh, you know, she'll pop in to have me, like, edit, you know, a photo. Um, she, like, for the blog post, she wants me to, she, uh, we had this process where she would write it, then she would email it to me, and I would paste the blog into the um, the soft, you know, the back-end web software, and then she would publish it. There's all this ridiculous stuff that I sent nipping the bud. Um, so she, I uh, think, I do think she was hoping that I would be more like a personal assistant and, and kind of cover for her because like initially, like I said, when I, a few months after I started and I don't know why she did this, she came into my office and said that her and the director had conversations about me taking on a bigger role. And one, and the second conversation, she said, they talked about me taking over managing it and she, you know, expressed how she would be kind of disappointed, but it was taking up too much time from her other work. So she was struggling to 
um, manage and juggle all the tasks related to this because again they didn't re- they don't really they didn't really realize how time consuming video is they didn't have the capability in the department before um, but like I said all that shut down and I think that she decided that she didn't want that to happen um, probably because I'm black and so it was just offensive that a black person um, going to take over something she was doing. Um, she wouldn't have been moved off the project because she still would be the reviewer of all the scripts. She would definitely have been involved, but I just would have done all the management stuff, which is technically what I'm doing because they wanted me to help them get organized. So I created all these documents and then it's just been dismissive, like the production documents and things I've made. I've had meetings with them and said, this is how I'm going to set things up. This is how we'll do a shoot schedule. This is how we'll schedule all the videos. And I, I showed these were documents that I brought and samples that I brought when, when I did the interview. And now all of a sudden it's, oh, yeah, okay, all right, all right. And then, you know, they'll, they're just dismissive. Like recently, like last week, we had a, a meeting about a um, video that's in post-production and they wanted me to put together a high-level schedule. So I did. And then when we had, I sent it to them ahead of time. And then when we got to the meeting, my manager was like, I printed out my own and she just did a different design and she, she had wrote, she wrote notes on it and things like that. So I just, they're just getting petty now and just defensive and rejecting, you know, everything that I'm doing for them in support of the project. Practicing um, racism. My director did. Practicing yeah. racism. I, I, I think if you are not able to solidify yourself, and when I say that, I mean, get yourself into a role where you're, not isolated, but where you can work almost without any interruption or, or having to answer too frequently to anybody outside of your, your immediate circle. If you really, if you can't do that, I think you might want to segue and start to plan and exit because I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've been in those positions where, you know, I get brought in and I've been brought in as that, that that guy technology and I, I'm I'm in the tech field, uh, and when it's realized that wait a minute this Negro can talk and he knows his work, <laughs> hey Chris uh, Mike we we may need to reassess how we're going to treat this guy and that's that could be I mean you, again if you could find a way to to work with it where you could move into some kind of department or uh, any kind of place in the company where you're not touched and interacting with them as much fine but from what it sounds like you have to and that could be that could be pretty tough to deal with you know yeah. that being said i mute my line context of white supremacy hang, hang on one second uh because we're running down uh with time and i told the caller who had the situation about the uh suspected enforcement suspected race soldier enforcement officer who's in a tragic arrangement with a family member uh so i want to make sure that we do get time for the suggestion did stacy in the uk who is still hanging in with us 10 minutes to 4 a.m london time was that you stacy uh yeah um i was going to comment on the last call though um i don't have anything specific that i was going to oh well who am i to deny proceed yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I um, I'll, I'll join. I'll join the discussion for the next program. But just listening into the tail end of that conversation, I would agree with what the mail caller just said. 
Um, it just sounds like a lot of what I've been through, to be honest with you. Um, so if you can start to look for other roles, I know sometimes that's hard to hear and it's hard to accept, but in what you know, sometimes we just have to be honest about the position we're in and the people that we work with. Um, and just the point that I wanted to make about your question, and I, I'm sorry because I didn't hear all of the discussion, but I think you did ask a question about why they employed you. Um, I don't know your complete rationale for asking that question, but it just sounds like perhaps you're starting to internalise some of the racism um, and the thing is they may well have loved you and thought you were going to be everything that she needed to be to cover up her inadequacies or um, or none of the above and just as, as Gus said wanted to do window shopping but I think the important things in these situations is that we don't second guess ourselves because that affects you in the long run when you start to internalise it it's going to affect you in your day to day job and um, anywhere that you want to go for the future. So th those are signs that we just need to look for when um, we're encountering these acts of terrorism. I'll mute my line, Gus. Appreciate that, Stacey. In the UK, well said. Uh, do we, anybody that we missed completely that has a hand up, anybody that we did not get to hear from at all? Oh, uh, Ivy, did you have? Hello? Um, oh, was that? I'm sorry, I I wanted to comment, but I'll yeah. This is red. I'm sorry. I'll I'll wait until Ivy goes. I just wanted to comment about the the female caller. I'll wait. Friends, Ivy. Uh, yes, yeah, greetings, Gus. Greetings to all the callers um on the line, and thanks, Red. I just wanted to quickly say uh, to the question that was posed earlier about what to do when you're asked to critique um, another coworker, white or non-white, I was just going to be pretty quick with that. I would just say, I don't know, and that would be it. Um, any follow-ups that they have, it would be very um, similar to what someone else said in terms of what detail you'd go into about why you don't know that, you know, I'm focused on my own job, but I would just say, I don't know, and uh, I'll mute my line. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Gus. Appreciate that. Uh, did we miss anybody? I have read Nevada. Did anybody that we missed totally that had a hand up? Just making sure. Oh. Uh, Mr. Steele. Do you have commentary, Mr. Steele? Or are you just listening? Might be just listening. Uh, caller at four four five seven four four five seven. Did you have commentary? Last four digits, four, four, five, seven. Did you have commentary? You just listening? Soon they're just listening. Red in Nevada, proceed. Thank you for allowing me to speak again. Um, just about the the caller uh, anonymous. Oh, and also, Gus, definitely appreciate your um, opioid references. That's, of course, that's my favorite, one of my favorite subjects. But I, I definitely agree with the reasons that were already shared as far as why Anonymous was hired. And I also agree with, you know, Stacey in the UK not to maybe let it 
get to her so much, but then also if that white man also keep in mind, you know, if that white man does ever, um, you know, recover there, I wouldn't be surprised if you're basically just filling in for him, if they'll find a reason, no matter how minute, no matter, even if it's right now and he doesn't recover until like, you know, a couple of years down the line, they may bring that up as a reason why to let you go to make sure that he can get his job back. I've had previous jobs with the a supervisor who actually died during, you know, his tenure at that job who didn't do his job well, but it did not matter. Just kept being shifted from different departments instead of just being fired. But um, I know that I've actually had the same problem that I discussed as far as with my supervisor, where she would schedule meetings. I maybe ever had one review when the other people on my team, and this actually just happened, had a review scheduled. She said, oh, well, the people, you know, she, somebody else, it was somebody else's fault. So, and that's the reason why we couldn't do the review. But I would definitely just document, and what I've been doing is documenting or even taking mental notes as far as myself, just correct, my my self-correction. If I was not fully meeting the the standards of the department, then um, just at least um, taking note of my own correction of how I, my self-development of how I've, I've gotten up to those standards, which it seems like you, you do document a lot and even maybe even using that to show how you are even more so a self-starter because no one is actually, or she's not actually giving you the proper reviews, even though she eventually did, but just making up reasons as to why not to. And then also maybe even trying to research how to communicate with the, with an opioid um, addict, because I'm sure these people know that she's on opioids and they're just kind of not saying anything about it until maybe it gets too bad to where she, you know, might be sleeping at her desk or nodding off or whatever. I'm sure that they know this. And then um, I and then also maybe another reason why if you, white women, they're very conniving and they like to use um, what, you know, of course, they consider us all their subordinates, you know, use us as a, a tool to get back at one another. So, I mean, not something, not really trying to throw these reasons out there to make you really feel like, you, to, to make you really think about it too much, but just also just keep it in mind that these white people, they're just kind of protecting themselves and these progressive, just like everyone else said, I don't, I don't trust that these progressive quote unquote progressive groups are really any more progressive than, you know, a Nazi or anything like that. I'll meet my line. Thank you. Indeed. Uh, Now I did promise, I think we might be right on. I said the last three minutes we would do the suggestions uh, because this is off topic. The last three minutes, if there were any suggestions for the caller, who has uh, a suspected racist enforcement officer who is marrying a family member, tragic arrangement, and he was asking for suggestions on how to deal with that situation. Uh, any suggestions that folks would offer on how to... Have you heard? Thomas in New York. Um, yes. Um, first thing I want to say is all white people get high. Um, they, that's, that's their culture. Um, you think black people get high, we don't have anything on them. And, uh, I wouldn't, um, worry about that. I mean, I would just stay away from them as far as possible. Um, I mean, that, that's a choice. Um, you know, that, you know, it's a inappropriate choice 
So you you know to stay away from that. But you know, there's nothing you're gonna say that's gonna change that choice. Any other suggestions? Appreciate that, Thomas in New York. Hi Gus. <clears throat> Hi Gus. Stacy in the UK, three fifty-eight AM London time, Friday morning. Yeah, it's funny. I, well, I don't know why, but I imagine that this conversation was going to come up on workplace racism. It's quite bizarre. Um, I mean, I have similar, uh, well, family members who are in similar arrangements. I, I, I just think, as Thomas in New York said, you have to stay out of it. But I would also maintain my relationship with my family member. The situation may well work out well and they may be together for years to come or things may unfortunately get worse you don't want to have your family member isolated in a position where they can't reach out to their family members when they need them um so i i just wouldn't let any suspected racist get in the way of my relationship with my family i'll meet my line can i add something uh yes ivy um, uh, I had a suggestion that maybe you could tell the, your, your family member who's married to the race soldier, um, to ask him questions that will help her to understand how white people work. Like, what do they, what do white people say when, uh, no, no black people are around? What are some ways that, um, that, that, that white people practice racism? Just, you know, any questions that, as uh, Mr. Fuller would say, and as Gus would say, uh, reveals truth. Um, you can learn from just this uh, this program. You probably know just from listening to to this program, just different questions that you can ask. And I think some great questions were asked from a from a um, a guest named Shannon somebody. Um, maybe Gus knows who she is. It was it was a really great um, program. A lot of a great uh, questions Gus asked her. So if you go back and listen to that, you could probably come up with some ideas of, of, of questions to pass along to her if you don't want to ask him directly. And that's all I had on my mind. Thanks, Gus. Indeed. Mr. Fuller has questions in uh, the code book as well, questions specifically uh, for white people. Uh, any? We take one more. Anybody else have suggestions? No other suggestions? everyone's favorite topic i thought there would be more any other suggestions everybody satisfied right on i my suggestion hey one more thing oh okay uh even if even if the cop was black i would stay away um because in my opinion my codification all cops are white i know gus doesn't agree but um so i see otherwise Not even the situation that was presented, but uh, my suggestion, uh, the the suggestion, I think Stacy and some of the other callers about maintaining the relationship with that family member or attempted family member, I think is extremely important. That's one of the that's one of the major ways that tragic arrangements inflict damage on non-white people is that the terrorist, the race soldier, uh, when they invade and, you know, whatever it is, marriage or whatever it is, 
they take that person and they can totally extract them from all the other non-white people that care about them, are concerned about them, whether they're informed about racism or not. Uh, that happens consistently where that non-white person is isolated and they end up just being around uh, other racists. Uh, we've had non-white people who've called in and talked about the situation on a personal level repeatedly. Renithia Tate, uh, it's in her book. Pam has talked about it. Uh, interracial con game. We talked about this repeatedly. So I would really, uh, even more so than trying to, you know, like cram information uh, down their throat uh, about racism, white supremacy books or content or anything more, more so even than that would be preserving that relationship. And you can still uh, stick to your principles uh, where it's not saying that you agree. And I mean, you can even, you know, state that explicitly that I don't think this is correct. I think it's dangerous. I think it's against racism, white supremacy. I suspect that this individual uh, probably is a racist uh, because we are in a system of white supremacy or, you know, however you well, you can stick to all of your principles, but I would maintain that relationship uh, because that person is in danger. And if that person ever does get to a point where they want and are seeking accurate information about white supremacy, racism, if you preserve that relationship, they might be willing to reach out and ask for help from you. And then you can make it real easy to give all kinds of constructive information. And I have seen that. Ha in fact, I have seen that entire process from where a person reached out and I did exactly what I just said all the way through to divorce and them leaving that person. Now that, you know, hey, you could be talking six, seven, eight months in that situation. But I mean, preserving that relationship, if you really care about that person, absolutely. That is worth way more than just trying to shout and yell uh, information about white supremacy, racism, when they are not willing to accept it, uh, because a lot of times that is the worst mistake and it just drives that person away. And then they will not reach out when they get to a point where they might want constructive information or when you can just trust whites to do what they do. Eventually that white person is going to be a white person. They might recognize it as such. We can bring this up. Well, actually we cannot bring this up on Saturday because we don't do area eight there either. However, we will be coming back to this uh, sometime soon. But anyway, uh, tomorrow invisible man. I'm so excited. Uh, one of my favorite books all time, top five, Ralph Ellison. Wow. Absolutely brilliant. 8 PM Eastern, 5 PM Pacific looking forward, uh, compensatory call in this weekend, uh, 9 PM Eastern, 6 PM Pacific. We'll review what went down the last week and back first time this year, global Sunday talk on racism, uh, should be here this Sunday. 12, well, 3 PM Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, 12 noon Pacific Global Sunday Talk. So many things have happened uh, around the world. It will be nice to have uh, our other folks, Stacy included, but other cows listeners from outside the states back with us to get their views, new year, and, and see what's been going down. Uh, if you have other questions, gripes, complaints, guest suggestions, or if you have workplace racism commentary, certainly uh, untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Dot com. I uh, hope it was worthy of your time and energy. I uh, hope you got some constructive uh, counter-racist logic. And uh, again, thanks to everyone for participating, chiming in to share about what you're experiencing. Uh, in my view, it helps a lot of us learn a lot more about what white supremacy racism is, how it works. That's it. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Certainly, uh, racists have taken advantage of a lot of non-white people who are not thinking correctly uh, because we have been poisoned and given all their narcotics. Dr. Welsing and many of the folks that we esteem, they would strongly support us being sober, 
clear thinking, taking care of our brain computers and bodies so that we can think clearly to a permanent resolution to the problem, whites. Certainly, if you're going to be in a vehicle, you want to be sober and buckled up. Let's do everything we can to minimize contact with race soldiers. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. Problem. You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Uh.